podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the 372nd edition of the Boxing Asylum Nutters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Wellings, and joining me on the call so far, we have Ozzy Smith and Andy Patterson. Sunday fairly comes around pretty quickly, doesn't it? Here we are going all again on YouTube from 8 o'clock and the Patreon RSS feed updates shortly after the show concludes. Just remind you about that. Hello to everybody listening during the week. Might be on iTunes, Spotify or on SoundCloud. Just having a look in the chat there, see who's hanging about. Why not? Have a look in the chat, shall we? Always fucking late, says Jeff C. Apologies, brother. Apologies about that. Uh, Tosh Bear is there. Banana Rama. Lee the alcoholic frotch. Shout out Can to Matthew fuck himself, man. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of banter with the boys there. Andy, John Wayne as well. Swaggy Taggy. Be safe. Just getting the old vocal cords going, you see, lads. William Kernahan. Let's go on up, shall we? Nothing else to do. Boxing Channel. Saul Farrow is the goat. Seen him knocking about the internet as Zuma Harris. Jojo. Henry Armstrong. And Graham Taylor. Shout out to Graham. Ricky Gravel's here as well. Welcome, Ricky Gravel. Curly Watts as well from the old cobbles of Coronation Street fighting on the cobbles. Andy, how are you this week? How are you feeling? How are you coping? How are you holding up? As usual, mate. You know, still drinking too much. Um, yeah, but we're, we're, we're doing pretty well. Um, I didn't even catch Boris's statement today, actually, but as, as far as I know, we're getting left behind with Irish and the Welsh and that, so we're going to be getting locked down. For a wee bit further extended period, I don't know if it was like two or extra two or three weeks and that, but uh, I all the mere time to handle and some more swells, you know, and watch some more fights. All good. Be yourself, Ozzy, you good, mate? Yeah, yeah, not bad. Um, it was it was a pretty vague statement, so you've not missed much. Um, it's pretty much it is what it is. Some people can go back to work if they can't work from home. A uh, bit more leniency on the exercise. Still no crowds, gatherings, continue to maintain social distancing. More will be revealed tomorrow. So, yeah, it's what it is. Been a good weekend, very warm. Um, been off the ale, actually, which is a bit of a surprise. Um, so I'll probably make up for that during the week. But, yeah, keep on going, don't we? Keep on going, Andy. I found that I've been watching less and less boxing as the weeks go by. I don't know about yourself. You are just telling us off air some of the things that you've been watching, including... Uh, quality fight between Dennis Lebedev and Guillermo Jones. If I remember rightly, Dennis was ending up with the face looking a bit of a mess. Yeah, man, it was like proper, proper evil shit. As I say to you guys, I mean, I'm a bit of a masochist. I like to see wars, guys getting torn to bits and stuff. But that fight was a bit too much. You know what I mean, he got cut pretty bad uh, on the right eye with the jab off of Guillermo Jones like the first round. And then round three or four, and that is showing swelling. And then he just, you know, it was just a trap hammer jab for Jones. For Jones, it was just badly getting swollen up. And they had the the Mike Tyson, Michael Douglas, Buster Douglas type situation. They had the no end swell, rubber glove with the ice in it, trying to kind of get the swelling down. It was, what a mess it was. And I remember at the time, it was like Chris Adul, the referee, he was like doing everything possible. Try and keep Lebedev in the fight, even with the count and that. But he was so fucking relieved that they call that fight off because you know his his life was in the line. I mean, you could see it even the corner that he had three, four members of the corner had in there having a look at the, the, the doctors and looking at him like the the tenth, eleventh round, saying, "Yeah, he can go on." Look, he's looking like a Martian man for outer space. He's in a bad way, but um, I always be see. Uh, I watched a bit early fights of uh, Povetkin. Mm. Um, 
I watched the uh, prime Jose Napoli actually against Curtis Cox. He's a Hall of Famer by the way back in the day. Google weight champion. Um, a few of his defences and stuff. It was just actually good to see. Like, we're talking about late 60s, early 70s here. Napoli's was like prime, you know, foot movement, jab, so, absolute solid. Um, what else? So I think. Well, you made a good point, actually, Andy, which I was going to raise off air. You said that uh, the Jones-Lebedev was one of the only opportunities where you uh, called for a fight to be finished. Now, I've done that a few times, and I can't actually think of any off the top of my head, but a few times I've jumped up in front of the telly and actually said, now, come on, needs to be finished. I'm pretty sure the last round of Bernard Hopkins versus Sergei Kovalev, you know, when Bernard's head was starting to be rocked back, mm -hmm. I was actually calling for that to be stopped. And in real life, a couple of times, I've sort of stood up at ringside and not made a scene or anything, but gone, come on, come on, you need to stop this now. But, um, that's that's a natural instinct. It's not something you rehearse. You know, you're, mm -hmm. you're obviously feeling in the moment. Did, did that happen often? Any other fights you can think of when you've said, look, look come yeah, on, I'm... you have to stop this now? Yeah, I remember Chris uh, uh, Day against Antoine Douglas. Um, uh -huh. The kid was never the same. I keep his like, Douglas was something like 21, 22, early 20s anyway. Uh, supposedly coming in his prime in that, and Curtis Izzy just kicked the absolute ever-loving granddad out of him. That kid, I think he had like three fights afterwards and then he retired, though he's never been seen since. And that. Um, it was a bad beatdown. Um, There's probably a couple of ones of, like, in America, I'm trying to think off the top of my head in that one. Like, top line. I remember my, um, Provodnikov one against uh, Alvarado. That was pretty brutal as well at one point, but when you go, mate. Um, do you remember Marcus Morrison, Jason Wellborn? Mm. That was probably what about twelve months ago. And that was a bad, bad beat down for Morrison. Um, a horrendous one, and that was another one where Gallagher refused to throw in the towel. And Morrison may not be great, but certainly took a lot out of him. Um, saw one in the chat. Eubank Junior Blackwell, good show. Uh, it was target practice for um, for Eubank Junior. Blackwell was just there to be hit. And we saw what happened. Um, naturally, we saw what happened after that. Uh, whether it was down to that, we'll never know. But surely, it certainly contributed. Um, there too, from from immediate memory straight away. I mean, you all you always see some of these um, lower level, you know, like prospect against journeyman, um, basically non TV cards. If you're there and you see these, you know, these basically foreigners come over and are there to take a beating, and sometimes you just think. What's the point in this continuing? But um, there's a couple there that I think spring straight to mind straight away. That, well, just as you mentioned that one as well, is, um, it's probably a, a more common one would be Muhammad Ali against uh, Larry Holmes. Um, I can always remember mm. listening to... Well, I, wasn't, I was just like, obviously watching the fight back and that. You just listen to Harry Cursell saying, like, this needs to be stopped and that. You know, it's just watching Ali just standing there, face glazed, just getting punched about and it. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's time to call it quits, you know. Absolutely. I know Angelo Dundee afterwards said people should have been arrested for the involvement in that. But I think it's just a, it's a human, it's an initial reaction and human emotion. It's interesting that I have found myself doing it a few times, shouting out, come on, come on, you're going to have to stop this now because you're just feeling like someone's going to get a beating and you're realising the gravity of the situation. Duran versus Davey Moore, says Steve Brown. Oh, Early, the alcoholic frotch, says Scott Quigg, Scott uh, Carroll. Ricky Gravel says uh, Jeff Lacey yes. should have been pulled out as well, against uh, yeah. uh, Joe Calzaghe. Because, I mean, right at the end, even Gary Shaw jumped up and said, yeah, you know, well, you're going to have to pull him out. That was about the last 20 seconds. It was too that's late then. Saying, That's not exactly what I was going to say, you know. <laughs> Gary Shaw's up there like 15 seconds to go. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Dana Alfredo Morello snapped with hands across the throat, you know. You know, pull him out, he's done. I'm like, dude, you could have pulled him out like three rounds before. Well, really? Three rounds ago, yeah, exactly. He was getting absolutely <laughs> hammered in that. I mean, that, 
was it, I think it was a, was it twelve round he got picked down. He got an absolute bombardment in that twelve round man. Like ah okay, pull him out now. But he was, he was like a punch bag the whole fight. Oh, it was ridiculous. If any more in the chat, any any other guys have any, then then, uh, then throw them in. Uh, we've got the light heavyweights coming up later. Light heavyweight tournament. Also, we're going to be going over a, a fight from the past. Aussie threw one in during the week. AJ versus Klitschko. Got a few questions as well, and a couple of guests. The first of which I will be bringing on uh, very shortly. Anything you've been watching during the week, Aussie? Quickly before we we get a question on the go. Any any action? I know you've obviously rewatched Klitschko, uh, Joshua. Nothing, mate. I'm finding it like you as well. Um, I mean, I'm still working Monday to Friday as it is, so it gives me something to do for that. And then, but weekends, trying to get out and about where possible. So, kind of dwindling down on the boxing. Um, might start to pick up again, you know, if there's a couple of recommendations and stuff. But no, all quiet to be honest. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. Ryan Deal threw something in uh, last week in response to our perfect fighter discussion. He said, I was expecting a full two-hour discussion on Yildirim versus Vinny, comparing the two's up jabs, etc. Unfortunately, he didn't get that, though. Uh, for his perfect fighter as well, he threw in the jab, actually, of Guillermo Jones versus Dennis Lebedev. The right hand, Wilder's windmill versus Washington. The left hook, David Lemieux. The uppercut, Tyson Fury versus himself. The footwork of Emmanuel Augustus, the heart of Corrales versus Castillo, the chin, liking U6 chin, uh, took bombs off Bradis and kept coming back and took a huge shot off Gassiev and didn't budge. Hope it doesn't all catch up on him against a B-level heavyweight. So that's Ryan Deal throwing that one in. Uh, just before we move on to our next point of interest, wrapping up, Kelly's on the call. How are you sounding, Roberto? How am I doing? Okay. Yeah, sounding lovely, sir. How are you? Yeah, chilling. Man, chilling the weather's after taking a bit of a fucking downturn here, so I'm indoors for the moment. It's a bit stormy outside. That's it. I'll see how I cope here. I'm charging the, the phone up, gonna crack a few cans open. You never know what could fucking happen tonight. Anything, anything happens, anything could go. You've been watching any uh boxing during the week, Rob, or you just been chilling out? Um, yeah, I had a look at Linares uh Lomachenko again. I did, I think I did a few 80s fights as well, but I can't really remember what I was watching. and Joshua Klitschko, obviously, for the pod. So, um, 15-year anniversary of Castillo Corrales as well. So, I had a little look back at that, which is always a good one. And, yeah, that's it, man. Really, pretty much taking a handy. Don't fuck all like everybody else, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll get through. We'll get through. Uh, WBC unveiled special COVID-19 belt. This was a bit of a fluke, a bit of a, a, bit of a parody. Was this you? <laughs> No, that wasn't me. I done that. <laughs> it's not really right. No, I don't. I don't think so. But Ryan Deal came up with a good one. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. He said, "Will they have a champion in remission?" <laughs> <laughs> a good one. It's a good one. You wouldn't put it past the WBC, would you? Right. While I try and get our first guest in, when you put it up, I wasn't actually sure. I was like, "Is this fucking wedding added, or is this?" <laughs> it is something I would do if I'd have thought of it, Rob. Mm. I would have done it, but I didn't. I didn't think of it, unfortunately. But uh, maybe next time. Maybe next time. Right. Awesome. Yeah, but uh, just while I bring our first guest in, uh, Andy or Ozzy, do you want to mention uh, talk actually on something Rob just mentioned there? A 15-year anniversary of Corrales Castillo. I know I say this all the time, but where the hell does the time go? It's a timeless, classic fight, and we mentioned it last week. It's one that you would show a boxing, a non-boxing fan or a casual what this sport is all about. It's an absolute cracker holds up to this day. Absolutely great fight, mate. I mean, obviously, it's, it's always it gets to strength, uh, transcend. Sorry, by the, the great moment, actually, in the corner where... 
when he gets told, you know, you need to get inside of him now, uh, or was he going to stop basically and just turns it around with a fantastic left hook. Um, it says Corrales as well had the old man at a wee bit as well, having to spit the mouthpiece out what, twice or three times, and that when he got dropped, trying to buy a wee bit extra time. Uh, badly swollen eyes and stuff, and I think he even got point deducted for it as well. And uh, obviously, then going back in the corner and just getting told, you know, listen, get fucking inside him, a new boy, or you're getting stopped, and turns it round. Um, and just, okay, I think it was fight of the year as well, wasn't it? And probably boxing writers of the year, uh, fight of the year, uh, fight of the year. But um, I also remember the second fight. I think he got knocked out in four rounds. I think it was a situation with the weight as well, and. Uh, so yeah, it was fair. I need to go back and watch it actually again at some point. It's always good to go back and watch it. Between that, Gatti, uh, yeah, it's one of the great fights to go back and watch. Unreal, isn't it? Unreal fight, and it's one that would just never get boring either. Um, never get boring. I'm trying to think. Did it ever win any? I'm sure it must have won. A, it must have won awards, mustn't it? Yeah, it was fight of the year definitely, mate. Yeah. Nice one, boys. I shall interrupt you briefly to bring in our first guest of the evening. Delighted to have Lewis Van Potch on the call. How are you, Lewis? Very good, thanks, mate. How are yourself? Not too bad at all, actually. How are you coping with the lockdown this Sunday evening, then? Uh, well, yeah, lockdown. Lockdown's all right. Um, I'm not actually missing boxing too much yet. I'm not just enjoying the rest. I'm not happy to go to the gym as much. Yeah, I mean, you were working not just as a boxer, but are you still doing the old lift engineering as well? Yes, mate, yeah, I'm still doing that. But I've been on furlough for the last few weeks, but actually back to work tomorrow, so um, see how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're enjoying the rest there. What would your weekly training routine have looked like? Because, I mean, you wouldn't do any sparring or anything, would you, Lewis? No, obviously being a journeyman, as you, as you all know, um, don't we do a lot of sparring. Don't we do a lot um sort of training as and when I can, really. Obviously, being, if I wasn't working, uh, full time I'd probably train a lot more but just sort of get some training sessions in when you can really just sort of try to manage your weight the best you can and just do your, do do the training when, as and when you can really just just know you need to rest because uh, obviously working full time fighting on the weekends it's quite easy to burn out so just gauging it for that really How do you work around the diet and the weight and stuff what's your natural weight are you sort of flexible depending on who, who calls you Um how do I manage the weight? I, I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, yeah, my as opponent has probably always been the scales. Um, so I do start struggle to hold weight off. I don't carry weight very well. I'm only five foot six. So when I put a few pounds on, it's quite noticeable. Um, so I just try and uh, just try and keep it. Um, just try and keep, try and keep on top of it. It's a bit easier when I'm fighting every week because I've literally I've got that few hour window on a Sunday where I can just eat and drink what I want yeah. and sort of try and get back onto some sort of routine in, in the weekdays. And then I sort of sit, sit around, like, so I sort of fight between light, uh, super middle and light heavy. So if I, if, if I can sit around like 175, 180 pounds, I can sort of cut, cut the weight off. Um, I can cut the weight off like that, that way. Just, 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 just keeping a bit of a, uh, fluidity to the routine which again is easier whilst I'm working uh, when I'm fighting every weekend Yeah how soon did you realise that it was easier filling in slots on the away corner rather than running around selling tickets and trying to be a prospect Yeah quite, quite quickly actually I sort of knew I had a vague idea on how professional boxing works because um, 
a lad from my hometown was a, it was a prospect pro Chris Higgs his name was and um, I used to go watch him fight I got so I sort of because I, I was part of the gym that he was from I was getting a, a, a pass to go backstage and that as well so I sort of I was milling and around the professional game before I turned pro um, sort of got got told I should go pro as a prospect got some tickets etc because I was quite a popular lad around my hometown people knew who I was so selling tickets in the early stages probably won't give me that much of an issue but then I assumed I wasn't going to be a world beater. I thought maybe if, if I really dedicated myself to it and had the right opportunities and everything fell into place perfectly, I might be able to fight for a British title if I'm very, very lucky. Mm. But then, but then like, I soon realised I don't really want to... Um, for the first couple of years I did anyway, I just sort of get my life to it and I trained three times a day and I ate meticulously. And then I just like... I just sort of, Started falling out of love, love of boxing because of that. Mm-hmm. I stopped enjoying the fights. I stopped enjoying going to the gym because of it. But then when I when I realised, um, so I got my first. I lost. I won my first fight, uh, and I lost my second fight as a as a prospect. And then I got a phone call a few weeks later and said, "Do I fancy a fight in London on a Friday?" And I was like, "What?" Well, I was like, "How, how, how do you want me to sell tickets for that? I'm mean, gonna live in London." Like, no, no, you're the away fight. You just turn up and fight. So I just turned up in a fort and I beat the kid up and I won the fight. And then I was like, why the hell? For the last two fights, I've been running around like a bad man trying to sell tickets where I can literally just turn up and fight and I get paid more money for it. So I was just like, I was like this is ridiculous. So that's when I sort of went the penny drops. I had one or two more fights at home um, intermittently whilst fighting on the road. Um, and then that was it. I was thought, screw it. I'm not fighting on the home shows anymore. Yeah, fair play to you. Sort of answered this question then, because last year we spoke to a guy, Lee Connolly from Stockport, and he said to us that he wasn't really comfortable at first with the journeyman tag because he felt that he could maybe do something. But after a while, he realised where he was at in the sport and he actually embraced yeah. it. It sounds like you're the same. Yeah, mate, exactly that. Like, I, I was, I, I was, I was, I was out of, in the amateur game. Obviously, as you know, you're a boxing man, you know that. Back in the day, it was point of scoring system. If you jab, one jab would score, etc. And now it's, I never had that style. I was never, I was never a particularly tall kid. So my style was always get inside, work the body. So I was getting on the wrong end of a lot of decisions uh, in amateurs. So I was like, I was like, once I'm pro, I can, this style is going to take, take me quite far. It's going to take me quite far. But then, yeah, then I, I just I, I soon realised that the level of opposition, the, the, the my fighter style was no longevity in it. So I just decided, uh, like I said, I was quite happy to play the journeyman role. I just slipped, slipped into it quite well, and then I've fought at some great arenas, which I never would have done if I was uh, a prospect. Um, I remember watching a documentary about Tony Booth and he used to get dogs abuse. You know, you'd see him walk into the ring, they'd all be shouting at him, you fat bastard and all this type of stuff. Do you, <laughs> do you ever get any of that? Um, some, sometimes you get a bit of hostility in the crowds, but gen- generally, I think probably times have moved on a little bit since then. Like we, um, uh, yeah, I don't think as a, as a nation and, and in general, I don't think we're as savage as that anymore. Like back in the nineties, now it was all the football and hooligans and stuff, you know. But mm. don't really have all that any, uh, anymore. So every now and then you get the occasional bit of abuse, or you just get like the off the cuff comment thrown at me. Um, but I, I just like to rise to it. I like dry and have a little bit of a laugh with it. Just like I've got, like I've got. Uh, I like to think anyway. I've got a, a bit of an infectious personality, and I like a chuck smile at someone with a witty comment. Yeah. It's just, I'm, like, I'm, I'm back on my side. 
even not on my side, just sort of making me realise I'm not there to uh, be confrontational. Like, I'm just there to have a bit of a laugh with it. So generally, that's what I try to do. Yeah, fair comment. Just to remind our listeners, we have Lewis Van Poch on the call over on Twitter at Poochie underscore 17. A few of the guys are throwing in questions for you here. Trading leather boxing, Lewis says, uh, who have you fought that you think has achieved the most in their career? Who has Lewis fought that he thinks has achieved the most in their career? Oh, yeah, good question. Sam Eggington's probably up there. He's achieved everything except the world title, I'd say, at the moment. I've boxed him twice. Um, there's a few lads there which I think will go all the way. So there's uh, Lerone Richards. Mm. I say this all the time. He's just exceptional. He was just like, not like you have to be very, you have to be very good to hurt me in a fight and like sort of like keep me very honest most of the time. So like, but I just couldn't near him. Just couldn't, I just couldn't get. He was in, he was in second gear the whole fight and took me out in three rounds. And I was in fifth gear going backwards, just like. I was just an absolute, absolute haze of what was going on. Yeah, so he, he's probably the one I'll say keep the eye on the most between him and Zach Parker. So, it's not going to keep the most. Absolutely. Uh, MB says, who is the hardest uh, fighter that's ever hit you? What's the hardest you've ever been hit? So, this is a good question, though, because I, I campaign now, like I said, at super middleweight, like heavyweight. And, but the two they're they're quite big hitters. Uh-huh. I would have missed at this weight class like once, but that was by their own. And Darren Williams for twice, yeah. Um, but but like, I reckon the hardest I've been hit, like, because of power, was probably Joe Pickford. But I was down at, uh, I took the fight in like a week's notice at like light middleweight. This is like, I don't know, five, six years ago. So like, I didn't hold shots that way rather them because I was trying to cut a lot of weight off. Mm-hmm. So, I'd say between Joe Pickford and Dow Williams, because Dow Williams just caught me over and right, bang, down I went. I got back to my, to my in my defence, but um, yeah, between him and Dow Williams, I'd say Joe Pickford, Dow Williams. Uh, whenever you're fighting sometimes like a prospect or a local ticket seller, do you often think to yourself, oh, this fellow ain't going anywhere? More often than not, you know, <laughs> like, like I, don't, I, don't, I don't really like answering this question because it sounds like I'm downplaying yeah. some humans and that, but like, well, I'm not honest man I'm honest with myself and then, which I was in my early career thinking I'm not going to really go anywhere with this sport so cast my chips in uh, but yeah there's a lot of people out there which do are, are quite pretenders and probably a lot, a lot, most of them probably probably aren't going to go anywhere but first but to keep keep at it lads keep trying <laughs> yeah I mean is there a target of how many bouts you think you can get through how long realistically do you think you can continue yeah so like uh, my manager, um, my mate, trainer, Richard Farnham, um, we had this conversation that last year. I was like, I had a target in my head for so long just to get to 100 fights. Uh, and it was just like, as soon as I hit 100 fights, I just felt a bit empty. Felt a bit like, like I've done it now. I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then so we had a bit of a chat and I was like, I think I'm going to carry on for a bit to see my medical out and see where, see where it goes. But then in that time, I just got a lot of love for it even more and probably just picked up a lot more of experience and started enjoying the fights a lot more for what they are etc etc yeah and then um, yeah so just it just I, I just say one medical at a time I think one medical at a time if I if I fail anything from my brain scan it's probably time to hang it up like it's not worth risking your health for um, so yeah I reckon everything goes to plan obviously once we get out of this uh, pandemic 
um, I should hit two of the fights and then I'll just reassess it again from there, I think. Yeah, that would be one hell of a milestone. I think, was it Peter Buckley made it to 300, didn't they? Yeah, you got Peter Buckley and Christian Lay, they tied on 300. Then you got um, Kev McCauley, who's up there now with 220 fights or something, to 225, 230 maybe. Uh, and then Ibra Riaz retired just recently on 190 something. Uh, so yeah, I'm coming up the river between those guys. And I'm, I'm not, uh, not far off. <laughs> what do you want at the moment, Lewis? Uh, 134. 134. Right, I was thinking of Daniel Thorpe. I remember he used to do the circuits, but he's on 139. He's a mere baby yeah. compared to some of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. One, a few lads, they was around it for ages. But just for some reason, they didn't hit the, the 200 mark. And like, I, I, I started like my uh, really busy activity quite late on um, in my German. Like, if I used to sort of maybe have... 10, 15 fights a year and then eventually become like 15, 20 fights and like the year before I had 33 fights which I think as far as I know is what at least at least the United Kingdom record um, yeah What about locations? Any exotic locations? I have got your record up in front of me they've ever taken you over to? Um, yeah, I've only had a few fights abroad. I went to Norway. Uh-huh. That was good fun. That was a nice big, big pay-per-view card. Uh, they looked after us well there. I uh, went to Switzerland. Looked after us very well, but it was like a really like low key. If you're talking a small hall show, uh, divide it by ten. That that small hall show is in a car park. So it seems very exotic. But again, looked after us brilliantly. Um, sort of saw some nice in those parts of the country. Uh, yeah, that's, not, that's about it, really, in terms of like, exotic locations. Been a few incredible ones over the years, but not, not many like mega, mega, mega fancy ones. Besides, like obviously the big UK arenas, like the O2 Arena, the Manchester Arena, the Copper Box. Uh, yeah, they're, they're probably some of the best ones I've been at, just because you can say you fought at them, you know. They're yeah, it, it can be strange in some of these venues abroad. I remember a friend of mine saying he went to a fight, uh, he covered a fight in Estonia. There was a local lad here fighting over there, and they had about four fights stretched over yeah. about five hours. One of them was an exhibition. One of them was like an amateur fight or something. It was completely bizarre. Yeah, yeah that's what happened in uh, in uh, Switzerland. Yeah, it's like there's, everyone was in the same change room except me and my opponent because we were the, the main event and the only professional fight. There's a few kickboxing and karate exhibitions, some like break dances. It was really strange. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of our guys is throwing in a question for you here, Lewis. He says, "Do you think you will be more in demand more than ever because of the virus measures whenever boxing resumes?" I think. Well, I think eventually, when boxing gets back to normal, um, I think we'll be in high demand. Yeah, but I think for the for when they, when they come back in July, I don't think we will be because I think they're going to put people. We're winning records together. I think. I think that's. I think that's going to be the plan. Is put like some nice, like tasty domestic fights on. Even if it's like, like, um, like people like Troy uh, Williamson and Jack Flatley again. Those, those sort of fights. You know where they're sort of bordering on uh, central area in English title yeah. seven. Those, those sort of level fights. I think it's going to happen. Can't see us journeymen get much work at the. If, if we come back in July, as the guidelines, we might be behind closed doors. You mentioned earlier Richard. Is that who manages the calls, looks after you? Yeah, he's, he's, he's my main man. He, sort, he sorts me out with all the... Uh, he's, he's my trainer as well, technically, but he lives over in Swindon. I live in Bristol, so we don't see much of him. 
just sort of just looks after me. He's my mate as well, so he's actually physically looking out for the health of my uh, career. Um, I read recently, Lewis, just finally, that you were going to fight a lad I know, Podrick McCrory. You were thinking in the changing rooms, sort of concerning yourself over his power? Yeah, like that was that, that wasn't. Um, obviously, I knew he could whack a little bit, and I heard a few um, a, few, a few sparring tales and uh, wife's tales that he could whack a bit. But it was just uh, circumstantial that I was feeling a bit nervous for that one. It was just I had a really busy, heavy work at week, uh, week at work. And uh, I had about three or four hours the night, night before because I had to be up early to get the fight to, to Belfast. So that was all a bit circumstantial as to why I was uh, a bit more apprehensive than usual on that one. Uh, our friend Ames has just thrown a final one in for you here. He says, how does Lewis rate these YouTube boxers? You've seen a lot of talent in the ring at the start of their career. I wonder how you view the YouTube guys. Oh, mate. Uh, uh, this this funny one at YouTube, the YouTube boxers, because, like, you watch, you watch them and it's just like, they're so raw. They're so raw at the, the way they hold their stealth, the punches they throw in, the movement they do. It's just it's like watching uh, junior club shows. That's what that's what I see. They're just not they're not fluid in their movements like you see from actual professional fighters, even mid middle level amateur fighters. You don't see you just don't see that fluidity in their in their movements. So I think I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to give them out for another chance to give me a go in there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Give him a call. He'll fight the YouTube boxers, no problem. It's been an absolute pleasure giving up your time this Sunday evening for us, Lewis. I really appreciate you coming on, sir. Yeah, nice one, mate. Pleasure. Absolutely brilliant. Take it easy and hopefully uh, you stay safe out there. Yeah, good, steady, good. Tell that, mate. Cheers, Lewis. Thank you. Bye-bye. At Pucci underscore 17 there, Lewis Van Poch, Aussie. Good interview, wasn't it? The lifeblood of the sport. I know it's a cliche, but these guys keep things ticking over. And he's a character as well. Nice guy. Yeah, great interview. And you're right, Steve. It, it, it's a fact. With, without journeyman, prospects wouldn't be nurtured. Um, you know, you, they know the they know the role in the game, don't they? Uh, and the sad thing is, is that if they start winning, the phone goes quiet uh, because some people just won't match their their young prospects with a journeyman that will necessarily come to win. But as you say, um, they play a vital role in the sport. A great character, um, fair play to him, aiming now for 200 fights and then he'll reevaluate, uh, as we say. It's interesting that he felt that he might not be as busy at the start and it'll only pick up when shows relax more, whereas I, I would have thought otherwise, actually. I thought they'd look to, you know, do two bigger fights and then use, you know, the, uh, the UK-based journeyman to, you know, to get some of the young prospects out as well. But but we'll wait and see. But no, uh, well done. I enjoyed that. Good listen. Good stuff. Yeah, I mentioned Tony Booth. During that, uh, there was a Tony Booth documentary about 10, 15 years ago during the heights of Satanta Sports. I've uploaded it actually onto YouTube. So if you type in Tony Booth documentary, you'll see it on my YouTube channel. But he was one hell of a character, Booth. He went, to, he went around all the club shows and they were giving him dog's abuse. And in one of his fights, he was clowning around because he was a bit of a character, uh, going backwards and forwards, changing stances. In between rounds, referee, I think it was Bob Williams, comes over to the corner and tells him to stop messing about. He says, you're not in a pantomime. And Booth turns around to him and goes, oh, yes, it is <laughs> so it's one of the true characters of the sport old tony booth sounds like lewis is a character as well let's move on then andy uh, just first of all i'm sure you enjoyed the interview there with old lewis uh, he had plenty of interesting things to say and lerone richards who's actually been on this show quite the prospect according to lewis andy yeah um 
get a bit more of these kind of guys on as well. And that, I mean, we could hear some of the stories. And you know, was it, I don't know if it was Buckley, uh, or was it McDonough? Remember, to run the crowd or whatever it was, and. Um, he got, he got off like a hundred quid just to go, go into the ring or something, and he forgot all his gear, and he had to get kitted out in the in the background. That's why like uh, gloves didn't fit him and mouth guard didn't fit him and all that sort of stuff. I remember reading one of these stories at least. Yeah, but you get me more these journeyman on that. It'd be good to hear some other stories. Yeah, I remember interviewing. Um, oh God, what was he called? Rob Calloway. He was an American journeyman mm-hmm. back in the day. I think he was from Texas or Alabama or. Mississippi, it was one of the real backwaters, and he had fought a lot of guys, the likes of uh, Hassim Rackman and all this Monty Barrett, all them fellas. And he was one fascinating character, fought for IBU titles and WBF titles. And maybe try and get Rob Calloway on the call at some point in the future. Need a big clans back when I remember, oh, I remember Clarence Tillman, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember calling him out. Well, I accidentally called him out on his weight one night, you know, because I was just I was going through box at the time. And I says, I noticed she made something like 390 pounds, whatever it fucking was, and that he just burst out laughing. She's like, Cheers for reminding me, I can't. Aye, massive, aren't they? Don't know what he's been doing now, actually. And what about, um, oh, I will be a gentleman, I suppose, by Malik Scott. I mean, he's, he's by the end. Some oh, you see some of the pictures he's putting out on Facebook and on Instagram and that, man. Jesus Christ. Yeah, quite the character is old Malik. Right, let's move on then before we get our second guest of the evening on the call. So, um, it wasn't last week, it was the week before we did the perfect boxer. Uh, Joe Kennedy threw, threw the question in, how to construct the perfect boxer. And Lee the Alcoholic Frotch, chat regular, said, how about uh, construct the worst fighter based on his uh, the worst attributes? Let's shift the criteria a little bit. So hopefully Ozzy, Andy and Rob can jump in and help construct the worst fighter. Um, so first of all, let's go on to body work then, shall we? Ozzy, body work. So this is basically, rather than the Mike McCallum of boxing, whoever dishes out the best body work, this is the person who takes it worst to the body. I'm going for Tommy Coyle. Uh, he was once said oh, that he has, what is it? Right, yeah. Chip yeah, sticks as ribs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one, actually, yeah, Coyle. Every time he gets blasted in the uh, in the guff, he's down on the deck. Yeah, Coyle's a good one. Paddy Barnes. Yeah, Paddy. Oh, yeah, Paddy. Paddy. Well, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I, 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 remember, I remember Paddy tweeting maybe about a month ago and that saying I think his daughter had been eating jip and that because of the lockdown and that in the end she, she called them she called them biscuit ribs or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is his seven year old daughter, man, throwing them. Oh Jesus. Absolute quality. Nice. We've got Tommy Coyle, Paddy Barnes as well. Any additional ones to throw in there, Rob? Um, who, who are we going to go for on body work? We're constructing the, the worst fighter. We've shifted the criteria. Who can't, oh, Matthew Macklin's been thrown in here by MB. See, I'd be in a bad position to comment on this because I'm only interested in watching the good fighters. So when I see a shit fighter, I'm not really like paying attention to what they do um, badly or whatever. I suppose I'm here for hanging the old chin in the air is a good one. Um, in terms of body, like who throws bad body punches or who takes a bad body yeah. shot, takes it worse to the body. Yeah, takes it worse. I don't know, man. I don't. Do you know what? I don't. Post, I can't remember. Post, post prime Hatton. <laughs> post prime Hatton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose that was a soft one, wasn't it? Like, I don't know. I can't. I don't. I don't know any fighter that likes to the body. I remember there was who was it? Someone said the Jack Dempsey years ago. Was it Jack Dempsey or someone said no? Actually, someone said the Joe Lewis and said, "Is it true that black fighters don't like it to the body?" And he said, "Well, I haven't met any white fighters that like it to the body either." <laughs> That's about the height. 
motion for, for that one. I just Kovalev. been popping in and out. Kovalev on a second. Kovalev's a Kovalev. good one, actually. Yeah, Kovalev, definitely. Glass body. Yeah, a few body. We've got a few there. Uh, yeah, Kovalev says MB. It's at a higher, much, much higher level, though, isn't it? Paddy Barnes has a glass body, says boom. Poor old Paddy. Yeah, Coil or Paddy are probably the main ones there. What about communication then? Who is it who really gets the, the heart racing when it comes to those post-fight interviews or smack talking at press conferences? I'm going for Scott Quigg on communication. We're constructing <laughs> our fighter here. Scott Quigg. <laughs> I'm going to go for Joe Joyce. <laughs> I was going to say Dubois. Yeah, that's a good one. He's getting better, though. I must admit. Yeah, he is. Yeah, no, he is, to be fair. Yeah, Joyce, uh, Quigg's another... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you're interested. Who's that, Rob? Coley's not great. Coley's not great on the camera either, is he? No. Um, Terry no Flanagan was was one as well. Lee the alcoholic <laughs> Fox says. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Bruno, <laughs> the can man, Andy. You don't know the can man. <laughs> Come on, I man. We know. She... We all know on the whose interviews you go back to. Uh, more than anybody else's. It's got to be Smigger, hasn't it? Yes, Smigger, Smigger. The golden tongue, Smigger, Smig. <laughs> the golden rat. Uh, no, but I, I remember Brunner's milk doing it after the Pacquiao fight and that. Saying it was all... He, he, he did it for the hood. <laughs> he, did, he, he did it for the hood. Fuck it, you see, he did it for the hood, man. Who did Manny Pacquiao do it for? He did it for the whole nation, you twat. <laughs> Well, you boys have inadvertently touched on our next one, actually. What about diet? This could this could uh, oh. constitute a few different things. The person who blows up really bad, the person oh, who looks man. like a flipping gas victim on the scales. Who, who's diet? Fat, oh. fat Smith, without a doubt. He just can't get enough of those chippies. Big smeg. Ricky, Ricky was horrendous. Ricky, Ricky, Ricky hadn't shaved about four years off his career from overeating in between fights. Uh, who else? Errol Spence. Yeah. I actually watched back an ESPN Good interview boy. with him just just last week. There, he says he he, he makes welterweight from one hundred and eighty five pounds. Fucking hell, really? That's Every right. fight in that. How's that? How's that possible? He I don't just, know. He made used to make one sixty from from two hundred pounds, didn't he? Because he was a linebacker or something before he was a boxer. So I don't know. Where are I? But jeez. Mike Alvarado, I was thinking as well. Kel Brook, mm. Frankie Gavin, Brandon oh, Beals. Yeah. Fun time, Frankie. Oh, yeah. yeah, Frankie, that's a good one. It's yeah. kebab diet. Fun time, Frankie Gavin, yeah. Box okay. seven because he couldn't be asked making weight. <laughs> right, boys, while I ring up our next guest, I'll throw the next one in. Talk between yourselves. So this could keep you going for a while. What about footwork? It's not. We're not talking about Penel Whitaker here. I'm talking about the Robert Hellenius Nikolai Valuev School of Footwork. Oh, um, there's a few African fighters you can throw in there. Who, who, who was the one in the one? His, his soul's cut in the ring, remember, and hit his trap just recently, actually. Oh, that Anthony Fowler box, yeah. What was his name? Yeah, he's got to get it because he was on like a pair of ice skates. Um, oh, what was his name? I'll find, I'll think of his name. His fucking name, I think his name, um. Mm. Charles Martin. You got pretty poor footwork. Oh, I tell you what, 
Theophilus Tete was the one that uh, Fowler and the guy had to cut his soles of his boots with a knife and stuff like that. Deontay Wilder. Yeah. Horrible yeah, footwork. Yeah, I share that. Um, big fighter who, well, he's a, he's, he was an ex-world champion, but he had pretty poor footwork, I thought, was a big Rocky, Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano, big call there from Andy. Delighted to welcome our second guest of the evening on the call. It's Carl Greaves. How are you, Carl? Hi, Stevie. Okay. Not too bad at all. How are you coping with this lockdown situation then? Yeah, it's just starting to get to me now. Um, enjoyed the first few weeks. Um, most time I've ever had off from the gym. I mean, the longest I've had off is two weeks. So, really nice spending quality time with the family. But, um, Trying to get your knuckles now. I want to get back in the gym and start uh, working with the fires. But after today's announcement, it doesn't look like it's going to be happening for probably till July. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, talking of your fighters, have you been receiving calls from them asking for advice or reassurance? Yeah, I'm in contact with them regularly, sending messages out to them and that. I mean, obviously, I manage, I manage about 40 fighters, train about nine now. So, uh, just try to keep in contact with them as much as I can. But... We all, nothing we can do really. I mean, they're all ticking over and that, but it's not looking very good for small old boxing. I mean, it's not looking like it's going to be happening for, for a good while yet. And, and even when it finally does, I mean, there's still going to be restrictions and that. It's just going to be very difficult. Yeah, I've got the uh, British Boxing Border Control, um, the five-page document out in front yeah. of me here. There's a few things yeah. to go over. I mean, things that strike me as well, fighting without any fans. We've been asking our guests about this. Um, also, boxers can't, can't spit in their respective corners. No yeah. ring announcers. It's, it's a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be. I mean, I know that TV's desperate for live content, live sports, so they're going to be doing the very best to be trying to get it underway. I mean, obviously, Matt Truman and, and Warren and obviously possibly Hennessy, but, I mean, the restrictions in place, I mean, maximum five fights, no championship contest to start with. Um, there's not going to be a lot of options and a lot of chances for the, for the, for the small all fighters because they're going to want to try and keep the fighters busy between themselves. So they'll probably put the fighters in with each other um, and just try and make it as entertaining and try and get 50-50 fights. But it's just not looking very good for, for small for promoters with no TV. I mean, it's... It's sad, really, because I was on a bit of a roll where everything was going well. I've got some great prospects, some very really good fighters coming through. I mean, that is now where I've not really got many at the championship level. I'm back, back in the rebuilding stage where I'm bringing a lot of fighters through again now, like I did a few years ago. They're all right, from like 1 and 0 to like 10 and 0. So it's doing a good job getting to that level again, but it's just uh, it's a brick wall now. Yeah, you mentioned that. I don't want to caveat every question by saying, well, you know, given the circumstances, we all know what the circumstances are, but obviously Josh yeah. Kelly, David Avanesian was something that we're all looking forward to. Again, it's been roll rolled back. Yeah, that's that's a really bad one, that is. I mean, that's two training camps are putting with David now and, and obviously nothing's happened. They've both, they've both fell through, so that's really disappointing. I mean, it was two weeks out of the fight. Um, obviously we got the call I think it was on the Tuesday I mean David was flying back home on the Wednesday because we just we kept him here and we kept training but we just knew it was going to happen but we could we just had to keep training and keep sparring doing everything we could in case they managed to get it on but 
I think the writing was on the wall and it was never going to go up. And then two weeks out, we got the call and it was devastating. David's gone back. I mean, I think Russia's finally in lockdown now. I mean, they was a bit late going into lockdown. So, obviously, um, David had a bit more time away from lockdown than, than what we had when he got back home. But I spoke to him, like, well, I speak to him regularly, but last week he said that we're under proper lockdown now. So, that's not looking very good. And... And even happening behind closed doors, I mean, obviously he's getting David into the country, which is going to be difficult. And I've also heard that Josh Kelly wouldn't entertain a fight behind closed doors with no crowd. So mm. it's just not looking good, that fight. Yeah, it's strange. It's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, the board, you know, they said this and that's not realistic. But, they, you know, I suppose from their point of view, they've got to put something out. But seeing things like boxers may not spit in their respective corners. I mean, I remember Kieran Healy. He used to unblock his nose in the middle of the ring like every round. I mean, you know, how you oh, get round it. I mean, I mean, even, I mean, obviously that's the tonight. Obviously, we've just had the announcement. But, I mean, if they're not going to open gyms until July... I mean, how are fighters meant to spar and do pads and what have you? I mean, obviously, some fighters are fortunate they've got they've got the dads that train them so they can do the pads and that. But it's the sparring and that. If gyms are not, are not allowed to be open till July, are you expected to box and to, be, uh, to resume in, ju- in July on TV? Because, <laughs> I mean, fighters are just not going to be able to have the preparation. They're not going to do the sparring, the proper pad work, and it's just not, it's just not good for them. So... I don't know how they're going to get around that until they open the gyms, but, I mean, there's just no signs of the gyms being open, I don't think, until July at least. Yeah, the guys in the chat aren't too hopeful either. We were talking to Lewis Van Potts just before uh, you came on the call. We yeah. thought that the journeymen <laughs> might have a bit more of a chance of getting some work, but Lewis didn't seem too hopeful that he would get more work than usual. No, definitely not, because, I mean, if the, if the shows are limited to five fights behind closed doors, then then obviously the promoters are going to have to put on the most competitive fights possible for TV. So I can't see any chances for the journeyman. I mean, I did see a, a couple of tweets out for one or two people saying, oh, great news for British journeymen. They're not going to be bringing no foreigners over because they can't, they're not allowed in the country. So be more chance for journeymen to get work. But it's, to me, that's just nonsense because if they've only got five fights, five fight cars and they're all going to be shown live on TV, then they're going to have to, have to be competitive and and with all due respect to journeymen, they're, they're the ones that's obviously there to be beat. Out of all the suggestions and the things being put forward, in your expert opinion, is there anything that people aren't mentioning that they should be and, you know, any your own thoughts really on when we resume, what we should, what direction we should go in? It, I mean, when we resume, I mean, there's still going to be, obviously, guidelines and, and restrictions. So, it's going to be, be difficult. I mean, if they put a lot, if, if, if we get, if the restrictions get lifted to, say, 500 maximum, then for the likes of me, that could work because I could put five, five fight shows on with 500 people maximum. And, and obviously, them sort of restrictions are going to be okay. But I just can't, I just can't see it. I mean... It's just sad times and, and, and very disheartening for everybody involved in, not just in boxing, but all sports. Uh, I mean, even football, they're on about the Premier League starting in July. Uh, not starting, but obviously carrying on finishing the season from, from June. But like I said, how can it be impossible if they can't have contact and be near each other to train? I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. 
Yeah, there's going to be things happening. Like one of our guys in the chat says the vultures might be sniffing around, turning young fighters' heads to get fed to Olympians and stuff. Like there might be guys <laughs> who are going to come out of the sport altogether, you know, and have to take another job, never return to the ring. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. I mean, I mean, a lot of my fight, fighters are very disheartened. And I mean, we we thought that things, well, I, I knew that things weren't going to get changed from tonight's announcement, but. A lot of people was hopeful that Jim's would be mentioned, but it hasn't been mentioned, and I really can't see Jim's being open for a while. It's gonna, it's just gonna keep putting. The longer the fighters are away from the gyms and away from boxing, it's just gonna, obviously, not I mean, make them further away from from wanting to come back because it's just gonna be so much, so much for them to do when they do come back. They're gonna be well out of the time. is gonna be out. There's no sparring, no pads. It's very difficult for them. Uh, just final one for you then, Carl, before we let you go. Uh, Ozzy's asking, so if you were to put on a small hall show, I mean, what are the type of costs we're looking at at the moment? Um, it depends what you can get your opponents for, but to put a small hall show on, I think you're looking between the region of 20 and 30 grand. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, obviously, without any, if you're doing it behind closed doors with no, t- with no yeah. TV revenue, it's just impossible. I mean, unless you're, uh, unless you're stupid enough for a promoter to just chuck a load of money at it with no return, but no one in the right mind would do that. I mean, I've been saying all along, we rely on the we rely on the gate. I mean, that's where our revenue comes from, the gate and a bit of sponsorship. But even if you has to, try, even if you got sponsorship to cover to help cover the costs, I mean, they're not getting any advertisement back. They're not getting anybody to see the their advertising, or you know what I mean. So it's just not going to be it's not going to be possible. Wouldn't have thought so. Hopefully next time we get you on, we'll have a bit more positivity. Things aren't. There's no light at the end of the tunnel at the moment, unfortunately. No, not at the minute. We're all, we're all in doom and gloom. We're all in the same boat. I mean, it's, it's sad times. I mean, there's, there's people dying and that. We've got to think of health your wealth at the end of the day. So, I mean, we're all about boxing, resuming and sport, but there's people, people dying all over the world, which is very sad. So we've just got to get over this crisis and obviously get back to normal as soon as we can. Yeah, Sam O'Mason said to us last week it's maybe a chance to just put things into perspective and slow down a bit, I suppose. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Um, I've had a chance to reflect on a lot of things while we've had the lockdown, but um, as far as boxing is concerned, it's not, it's not looking good. Unfortunately not. Thanks to you, Carl, for joining us on this Sunday evening. Yeah. Appreciate you giving your time up, sir. Thanks very much. Take care. All the best. Cheers. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. All Bye-bye. the best. Bye-bye. Carl Greaves there joining us on Sunday evening. Not a lot of positivity, naturally. I mean, guys like that, Aussie, it, it's not hyperbole to say that, you know, will Carl be putting shows on any time soon? Within the next few years, even guys like Dennis Hobson, Big Mick, Steve Goodwin. I mean, I know it sounded a bit of a negative interview, but I mean, what, what can you do? He's hit the nail on the head and it's, it's plain and simple. Um, without TV or without a bottomless pit of cash, Small hall shows will not happen without a crowd. And it's simple as, I mean, look, some people might not think, but what, what did he say, 20 to 30 grand to put a small hall show on? It's with just, no tickets? With no tickets. It's, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And as you say that, unless you've got somebody who, you know, is happily just to get rid of some cash and just wants to help out a friend, but how many times are they going to ship 30 grand for nothing, nothing in return? Uh, I mean, I'd love to see the return on sponsorship anyway. Uh, and I think a lot is it, you know, it's like gesture of goodwill type of thing. But when no one's going to be seeing it, then 
then what is the point? And it's it's something from where um, it's hard to say that can can um, your, your bigger promotional outfits or some TV companies help out. Um, I'm sure they're going to be grateful for boxing um, unless promoters are going to be looking to do two or three shows a week. I know Top Rank have mentioned that. Um, they're, they're going to have time to fill because at the end of the day, everything that's on the channels at the moment is just reruns or, you know, like they're, they're trying to make things happen in terms of, you know, like you've got essentially like Sky Cricket's on at the moment. You've got people watching um, an old, you know, like Ashes Test Series back and they're commentating on it. So, I mean, I would happily see, you know, that smaller hole boxing be given a well-deserved slot on the um, on the telly because, again, it keeps more people involved with the sport. And without small hole boxing, the sport will be damaged. You'll have a lot of fighters. It's a case of you either, go, you either get the chance turning over with one of the big boys or that's really it. Because if you lose your likes of Carl Greaves, Steve Wood, Steve Goodwin... Who is going to bring these fighters through? The answer is nobody. Jump in there, Andy. I believe you had something you wanted to mention. Yeah, I was just wondering as well. As I mean, there's, there's, there is talk of some of these football leagues starting back up in the coming weeks. And that. I mean, they're, they're, you know, Spain are trying to get their leagues finished in over a four or five week period. Germany's meant was meant to be starting. I think it's next Saturday. But there's like, I think there's two teams in Germany who confirmed cases uh, uh, this virus, and then there's you know, there's a few teams in Spain. So they're absolutely kidding themselves, actually. I mean, I, I was reading something the other day there that I think the only way out of this really is the vaccine. For us to get moving about and to have big crowds and events and stuff, it's going to take a vaccine. Um, because we just, we just, just don't know do enough testing. We just don't know who's got it, who's mm-hmm. got the symptoms, who's asymptomatic when they're actually you know, they're most contagious and stuff. Just nobody knows. So as I say, it just, it just takes you know one player or one fighter in a gym to get this virus and the whole gym's going into quarantine for 14, 14 days. Um, it's just, you just can't, you just can't legislate for this shit. Yeah, while you're mentioning football there, Andy, I'm going to give a little shout out here to a friend of the pod, a guy I've known for a few years called Dave Scott. He runs a charity in Scotland. It's a, like an anti-sectarian charity called Nil by Mouth. It's all about oh, like, it's all, no, no, no. I'm going to give Dave a shout out because, um, he's uh, always bought my books and he's a listener to the show, Boxing Monthly, big boxing fan. He works for this charity anyway, and they've done a book. I bought it for a tenner, and if you're a football fan, it's well worth a read. It's not about Rangers and Celtic. It's about all like football rivalries across the world. It's only about 150 pages long. It's a tenner. All the proceeds go to that charity. If that's something you want to support or not, that's entirely up to you. But I wanted to give him a shout-out because it's a real good read, and I, I very much enjoyed it. So shout-out to Dave. I know he'll be listening. And um, yeah, maybe we'll move on. Uh, what about footwork then? Uh, we had Hellenius, Nikolai Value. I didn't hear you boys. What you came up with, Andy? What about on the old footwork of our super shit fighter? Um, yeah, footwork, Charles Martin. Um, like I said, and uh, well, obviously, again, it's not a worse fighter, but you know, he was a you know, all time great. Rocky Marcel never had the greatest footwork, you know, but it made it work for him. Um, Carl uh, Fox, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. He never had good footwork either. Um, Kessler probably the same, a bit of like an applauder, kind of flat-footed. Um, it's tough though that like if we're making this worst fighter and we're going to put someone like Froch's footwork. Yeah, in, yeah. I think we need to award it to that bloke Anthony Fowler. Yeah, um, beat up that Theophilus Tete. He couldn't even. <laughs> so um, I think if we're talking about if we're talking about footwork, it has to be Theophilus Tete. 
needed to take a knife to his boots to try and cut them, and it still made no difference. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think we've got to go with Tete. The guy couldn't stand up. Well, the, the interesting thing about that, Aussie, is I can't remember if I mentioned it at the time, but Tete was from the same gym as a guy called Michael Barnor, who fought in the Devonish against a local Belfast fighter years ago. He was nicknamed The Shoe, and he was sliding around like he was on an ice rink, and in the end, they had to wrap masking tape around his, his <laughs> boots. And whenever, and he's from the same yeah. gym, I believe, as Tete. And David Mohan um, uh, uh, tweeted me the night Tete was fighting to remind me of Michael Barnor. Is this a coincidence? Or, uh, I mean, is it the boots they're handing out in this particular prison canteen gym? Who knows? Not a clue, but it's a scary thing that, that there's actually been two fighters from the same gym. Uh, usually it's doping in the gym, but clearly this is one from where they're just wearing dodgy boots. Must be. And Ricky Gravel says the Russian hammer... Yeah, you wouldn't like to get hit by him, though, would you? Lee, the alcoholic fudge says Paul Williams. It's a bit below the belt. A bit below the belt there. Um, Lee, <laughs> Alex Ustinov, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, him, Ustinov. He's the big lump, isn't he, as well? Uh, we've lost Rappi and Rob Kelly. Let's move on to the next one, then, our worst fighter. So far, we've got uh, Tommy Coyle and Paddy Barnes for bodywork. Communication, Scott Quigg, uh, Dubois, Flanagan, all been thrown in as well. Footwork, Alanius, Valuev, uh, and a few others. Diet, Paul Smith. What about Speed? They're not the fastest fighter. Ozzy, the slowest. I'm going for poor old Joe Joyce. He's by no means the worst fighter in the world, but those underwater punches. Yeah, I was going to say Joe Joyce as well. Or uh, Lucas Brown is another one. Lucas Brown. Big Dominic Brazil, maybe, Andy? Sam Peter. <laughs> Sam Peter. Big George. Oh, Big George. Wouldn't like to get hit by those boys, though, would you? No, true. You said value of eh? Yeah, Nikolai value as well. Yeah. yeah, he was slow, but effective. Slow, but effective. What about chin then? Not the best chin, the worst chin. I'm, go I'm going for a controversial one here because he was actually a very good fighter. But whenever Kenny somebody Norwich. tagged Zab Judah on the chin, uh, he did the donkey dance. He did the chicken dance, he didn't did, he? Uh, <laughs> he did. Am I saying Terry Norris had no the greatest of chins? Am I making that up? Or am I just basing too much on that he, he sounds bad these days? He sounds bad. He must have took a few shots. And I'll tell you one thing about Norris. He liked a disqualification, didn't he? He was, he was brutal for hitting after yeah. the bell and hitting behind the head and stuff. So maybe he's the most away, temperamental yeah. fighter, Andy, possibly. Yeah, he liked the kind of... Yeah, he did like the kind of dirty stuff and that. But then he, he, he got it back. And uh, some of the knockouts were pretty bad, actually, that I can recall. Yeah, excellent fighter, Terry. He had a great run, but he was a little bit off the cuff. Aussie, Amir Khan has had his name naturally thrown in for this one. Frank Bruno, old well, Frank, he was a stamina issue, I think, with Frank. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think Frank had the worst chin. As you say, it was more like along the lines of, see, when he got hit, it was more like he didn't really know what to do. He didn't grapple, he didn't take a knee. He just, just kind of held up there, you know, held the hands up and let the guy tee off on him and... There might have been one time when he got knocked out, I think, but I don't think he had like, the worst chin. Um, what about Matty? Juan Manuel Lopez um, dropped a few times, hurt numerous times in the trenches. Um, Big price. David Price getting a shout out. But, uh, yeah, David, Price. David Price, Price could be for stamina, which is the next one. You could put Pricey yeah. and all. Uh, for and Dan, what about and Dam? It's like a jack in a box. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Dam, that's a good one, yeah. Uh, Julian Jackson. Aye, oh, Julian, yeah. Big Jules. Jack Danny Jacobs. Brings up the old chin argument, which I've never really got to the bottom of. Does getting knocked down and constantly get back up again means you've got a bad chin or a good chin? We had this debate years ago about Tyson Fury. I don't, I'm not sure I've ever got to the bottom of it. 
I suppose yeah. the powers of recovery, isn't it? I mean, it's the same. I mean, obviously, at this at this point, someone would throw him big Vladimir, but then he'd obviously done well to kind of cover up his chin. But there was always that, you know, that argument. You know, if you land on that chin, you know, and you know, there's big Pule, for example. You know, the old dominant Klitschko, and then Pulev touches him with one hand, and he's fucking like, it was a jab, actually, I believe it or not. And uh, Pulev's kind of like rocking a little bit, like, oh shit, there's the there's the old the old chin again. <laughs> um, but um, so I think there was a big heavyweight back in the eighties. Steve uh, was a big Selden. Was he no Bruce Selden? Big Bruce side. Was he not a bit of weak chin? Can't, can't remember enough about Bruce to be honest with you, Andy. Can't can't think now. Yeah, I know Tyson banged him out, but that's a different level of power. Yeah, Frank was never on his back. What about skin then? Obviously, uh, sort of complexion cut in. Someone mentioned Linares there. Ricky Hatton was bad. You wouldn't want Hatton skin around the yeah. eyes, would you? What am I going? Good no, you, just need, you just need to take my word for it. But aye, see, see, see if you go back, like like uh, in box record, like, you look at some fighters who have got like numerous losses, and you'll see, well, they've got a lot of losses, but they've also got a lot of stoppages. And like, you need to remember when was the cut rule changed? Because a lot of fighters have got stoppages on their records. The, sorry, stoppage defeats the records because of cuts, and the cut got changed to like you know either a technical decision or it was a technical draw if it went, if it if it gets stopped after four round, uh, before four rounds. So um, it's, it's a relatively new thing, I'm sure. Eh, the the cut rule. Henry Cooper, he was a bad bleeder. Wasn't yeah, oh aye. Uh, what do you call him? The Chris worst one. Jenkins, one for me, Chris Jenkins. He always gets cut. Yeah. Every- Time. I think he's had about three or four no contests because of cuts. Yeah, big Chuck Wepner. Ah, oh, Chuck Wepner, that's a good one, yeah. Huey Fury, Ricky Gravel says, well, I suppose <laughs> you could have him for worse skin, couldn't you, really? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't cut easy, just pop. Yeah. <laughs> he, his back bleeds as well, you know. Stephen Smith, you could have his ear, I suppose, with fighter's yep. ear, maybe Polyfield's oh, ear. Yeah, <laughs> have it stitched on. Uh, right, okay, so what about Ring IQ? I'm going for Dave Allen. Walk forward and take as many punches as you can. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll agree with that one. <laughs> look, Lucas Brown in that regard, then. Uh, oh, Lucas Brown, yeah, that's a good one. Ring IQ. Dave and Allen. finally, finally, uh, our worst fighter's heart. I'm going for Victor Ortiz. Ortiz, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, worst heart of all time. <sighs> I didn't want to throw Tyson in there because that was Tyson after he was used and abused and washed up and that, you know. Mm. Jose, Gonzalez, Jose yeah. Gonzalez against Ricky Burns completely, oh, Gonzalez, completely yeah. shit the bed. Oh, Galotta, that's a good one. Who said oh, that? Oh, oh, yeah, Swaggy Paggy. That one. Yeah, yes, well said, mate. Galotta, well, absolutely, mate. Yeah. That is that is the epitome of a waste of talent, by the way. That guy had every opportunity. I'm listening to uh, Swaggy. If you go and listen to uh, Patrick o- uh, O'Connor's podcast with oh, what's it called? Knuckles and Gloves, they, they, they actually do, I guess, like something. Like, I don't know if it's actually it's Galotta himself or it's a, a topic on the wasted talents of all time and that. And Galotta's in there. And they talk about him, you know, he had he had the fan base, he, he, he was like an absolute nut job, he was in Poland and that, he was like, you know, it could have easily been a, a criminal, relocates to Chicago, he's got a big Polish population naturally and that, so he was a natural star, um, 
his talent and ability and that, you know, he was absolutely fantastic to watch, worked the body like nobody's business, but he just, mentally he just couldn't keep it, couldn't keep it together and folded when it mattered and that and I mean, he got absolutely, he even, he even got attacked at those fights with Bo and that, I mean, Bo's crowd were absolutely evil, but uh, yeah, it was, that's a good call, Galata, yeah, definitely. The, um, the what for Ty- no not Tyson the Lennox Lewis fight was interesting with Galotta was that no it was the Tyson one wasn't it when he, he quit and the corner man was desperate to get him to carry on but it turned out later he had some dislodged bone in his nose or something that could it was about to spike his brain am I making that oh. up that that happened didn't it I think yeah was that, was that the Tyson fight wasn't it was it I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. didn't he quit against Tyson. And he's like, no, no. And the corner man's going, go back out there. And then afterwards they said there was like some, yeah, Lewis banged him out in a row and that's right. It, cause that was supposed to be a pretty uh, even fight. Say, both, but Tyson, both the Tyson out. fight, I mean, against Galata. Yeah, yeah, I need to go back and watch it. Well, yeah, obviously sure. afterwards, I suppose you'd be the fun to do that, eh? Yeah, exactly. There was something weird about that anyway. Uh, Cash Alley, someone meant, yeah, Cash Alley's teeth, maybe we could add them in. Um, the Oliver McCall had heart. He was just mentally fragile. Yeah, I don't really want to go into into that territory. Uh, Smido's with us. Um, let's move Hi. on. How are you, Smido? Keeping all right? Good evening, yeah. Uh, you'll have to bear with me. I'm currently painting my bathroom. But, uh, yeah, I'm here. Yo. Brilliant. Smido's painting his bathroom. We'll call on you in future then, Smido, hopefully. Yeah, the boys are saying here, Andy, that it's right. It was the, what I described was right. Great. Again, okay. Tyson. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Right, uh, let us move on then, boys. I want to do the light heavyweight tournament whenever Rapping Bob Kelly comes back, so we'll hold that off. So for the time being, should we go on to uh, Fight of the Week? Ozzy, you have thrown a fight in for this week. Last week we did Groves against Froch 1. Tell us which fight it is and your initial thoughts this week, please. Yep, so we're um, we're going to review Anthony Joshua against Vladimir Klitschko, which oh, took... for fuck's sake. What was it now? A couple of years ago now, that. What, what are we talking, 28... Back in the twenty seventeen, was that seventeen? Twenty seventeen, think it was. Three years ago, Jesus, Jesus Christ, that's gone quick. Um, yeah, big big fight. What was the ninety thousand at Wembley? Uh, Klitschko getting off the couch after eighteen months sat out. Um, went in as the underdog from from memory. Um, I know naturally. I mean, I picked him to win, as did others, but. From a betting perspective, I know uh, Joshua was the favourite. Uh, and, and what a good fight. I think it was plenty of people's fight of the years. Uh, very, very close. Um, I'm sure I had. I think I clicked go ahead at the time of stoppage. Um, I think rounds, was it rounds five and six? Unbelievable, brilliant stuff. Uh, and then Joshua, fair play to him, pulled it out of the bag. Um and just annihilated Vlad with a huge uppercut in the 11th, but a, a great fight. And I think had, had Vlad been a bit fresher, I mean, I mentioned off air that he came in in unreal shape, but it was just um, it was just activity for him that maybe cost him because when Joshua was down, his legs were gone. Uh, and I think if Vlad could have just smothered him and, and basically landed, you know, consistently... Uh, it may have been a completely different story. Go on then, Andy. My initial thoughts are, I'm going to give credit to the big lad. It was my fight of the year. I thought it was an excellent mm. fight. It, it, You know, it made me 
I was up on my seat for all the rounds, and whenever he went down, Joshua thought Klitschko was going to finish him, and then Joshua roaring back. I mean, I'm no fan, you know, of the whole matchroom setup and that, but I thought I thought it was an excellent fight, and I really enjoyed rewatching it. Yeah, I would say definitely a good fight. Um, everybody was invested in it. Let's not kid on about it. You know, everybody was chatting about it. The whole Twitter at Saber on it, press, magazines, everybody. Um, I'll be honest. I had it was as we're talking about it. Obviously, off here and that you know, I recall. I think I was siding with Klitschko, but it was definitely fifty-fifty. To me, it was hard to call. And you remember as well as this was a Klitschko coming off the couch, as such, after two years, two and a bit years after Tyson Fury fight. And I hate, I hate the fucking people go, you know, go back and use that uh, Fury fight. Oh, you know, Joshua did it better and stuff. Okay, it was more exciting fight, but in the, the days, styles make fights, and Tyson Fury has got that type of style that you know Joshua's got. Whereas he can get into a firefight, he can have power to hurt someone, but at the same time, he's got that vulnerability. Whereas when he gets tagged, he really looks like he's, he, he could go any time. But um, it was one of the fights that, that I was I was invested in it to the point because I, I believed Klitschko had that one shot in him, and he took it. He took the shot. I sorry, he landed that straight right hand. I always say that he could land. He, he landed it, and as always he says, he just he missed that left hook. He just couldn't catch him, and he missed his chance. And fair play to Joshua, he actually managed to pull it together, and he, it was a fantastic ending. And we bit kind of smarmy with the stoppage and that because when he stopped him, he kind of stepped into him and stuff. He says like, ah, I just beat you and that like wasn't into that at all, man. Cause that was that was a dominant champion, but. You know, fair play Joshua and that, but at the same time, what well, I, I maintain that fight took so much out of Joshua to a point whereas, you know, again, a fight coming out of two years of inactivity took him deep and took him hard. And it's one of the type of fights that kind of wears on you. And, you know, as I say, a few years later, he walks into the release and stuff. It's like, I don't know if he walked into, the, into that release fight as like a, a champion, whereas everything was weighing heavy on him. And he needed to be, to, you know, to be beat just to kind of like try and reset himself and come back hungry enough. I, I don't know, but um, I says, you know, fair play to him. He got up. He looked like he was absolutely done when Klitschko dropped him. He come mm-hmm. back and uh, was it a three punch combo. I think it was it was a it was a left two right uppercut. And obviously, you know, we see, we seen that meme right afterwards on Twitter and that with Klitschko's neck stretched like a fucking giraffe and that. You know, yeah. absolutely, it was, a, it was a fantastic shot and. Uh, Fair play to Klitschko as well, by the way, because again, this is what I'm, I was just, we're talking about one of the worst chins there and stuff. Klitschko, again, he got up for that uppercut and he actually got stopped on his feet up against the ropes. So, um, fair play to him, balls, heart, you know, that's a guy who's in his, what was it, 41, 42 at the time? Yeah, 40, 41, I think. You know, he shows, he shows guts, he still wanted it, he got up and, you know, so fair play to him as well, you know. And even in defeat, actually, Klitschko gained and garnered a lot of respect and it's a pity Bert Sugar wasn't alive to see that actually because he he hated the Klitschkos, hated them with a passion and uh, I think if he'd have been alive actually I think he'd uh, he'd have finally gave Klitschko his, his, due, his due just in regards for that by because as I mentioned his last weekend that there was Sergio Mora and uh, Chris Mannix I think they were asking the question: Should should Klitschko come back and chase a legacy? I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, the guy's got like, what is it, like the, the third or the fourth highest heavyweight title defenses in history? You know, give me, you know, give me his, his respect. You know, any day he beat his his era as his era, right? 
it's it's maybe weak, it's maybe poor and that, but he beat every mandatory challenge. Every mandatory challenge that was put before him, he fought them and either beat them or he defeated them in a rematch or, you know, Pat Fury and uh, Joshua, uh, obviously, as well. But, you know, game is due. Uh, I'll give Joshua his due as well uh, for uh, that come. Uh, well, I'll say uh, comfort behind type for uh, p- performance. But I would say as well as the scorecards, because the way it was going, actually, you did think that Klitschko was getting a wee bit kind of more into the fight. And I don't know how you... I need to go back and check it again, what my scorecard is. But I had it close. And I think some of the scorecards was it maybe three or four rounds to Joshua and stuff. I have them here, Andy. Uh, Steve White, Steve Weisfeld had it uh, 95-93 to Klitschko. Nelson Vasquez had it 95-93 the other way. And the um, esteemed Donald Trella Sr. had it 96-93 to Joshua. Ah, there you go. Uh, yeah, so I need to have a chat with Donnie again when I, when I see him and stuff. But um, yeah, close. It was close. I would say point either side. Uh, possible. I need to go back and score that actually, but I, I, I would probably say I had probably Klitschko just edging that actually. Um, I could Klitschko maybe go back and watch it and, and say that he was definitely winning it, you know. Yeah, he, he was definitely taking over um, in the fight, and I'm, I had him ahead. And then, like I said, Joshua pulled it, pulled it out the bag. Uh, I mean, look, you look at the cards now, and it wouldn't have made any difference really. Um, I think going at that, he would have at best got a draw. Um, couldn't have won on Trellis card. I'd, you know, I'd uh, Klitschko stayed on his feet and won the rounds. Um, but that saying, yeah, great, great fight. Um, but I agree with you, Andy. There, I do wonder if it took a bit out of Joshua as well. Um, whiskers were really tested then, uh, in terms of that. Uh, just a big, big right hand down, um, straight down the funnel, uh, bang on the chin. And I say again that. Had Klitschko been able to land with that left hook as Joshua was on his way down, I think that would have knocked out Joshua completely. That's yeah, saying, just like Wilder did with the Fury, when he, yes. you know, at the behind. Yeah, um, and he didn't do that. Um, and, and Joshua had a bit of time when he got up as well. Um, it was very good from him, you know, considering a guy who was, you know, was t- technically still learning on the job and hadn't been hurt that much. He got up and he, he managed to buy a a precious few seconds. Um and, and as we say, I think a lot of a lot of boxing fans look back and, and probably do think that if Vlad could have just stepped on the gas and, and swarmed Joshua, we, we would have been talk ultimately would have been talking about something completely different. And who knows what would have happened and um and what state boxing would be in today. But a brilliant, brilliant fight. Um certainly can't criticize anybody for that. The styles matched tremendously well. Uh, and it's certainly not a boring watch when you look back at it. Just one thing about what Maura said that about the legacies and stuff. You know, I, when I mentioned that, now I recall actually, I remember saying that I wanted, I wanted Cl- uh, Clutchcoat to win. And again, it's not this anti Joshua, it's not this anti Anthony Joshua thing. You know, it's a, you know we've perceived got you know type reputation in that. I wanted it purely for Clutchcoat's legacy, as I say, because you know it was one of the things in that you know I grew to respect him. Because okay, he was born. I mean, who remembers the Salt and the Bragamoff fight? You know, oh, that I, was one of the worst fights of all I, time. I, I mentioned that. I will defy anyone who's wanting to go back and watch that fight again by and just say, "Listen, Johnny Nelson was more entertaining than that." Holy Christ, that was porn. But in the end, you know, it won, it won my respect. Um, never made an excuse. Fought everybody, as I says. 
That was for a world title, wasn't it? Wasn't it Bragamov? Ah, the, it, was the a, it was a unification. Unification oh, fight, I'm sure. Champion. Was it IBF champion? Yeah. Wasn't it? Sure it was, mate. I'm sure it was a unification fight. Sultan Ibragimov's brother, Timor, was bad. I remember him having like a Broadway boxing fight and his right. corner got that frustrated after the eighth round. The wee corner man says to him, if you don't start throwing some punches next time you come back to this corner, we're not going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad the Ibragimovs were. Shit. But as for the Klitschko's, they had to win over the Americans, didn't they? Because uh, especially Vlad, after he quit against Bird, which in hindsight was the correct the decision Hill. because of his rotator cuff. Larry like sort of shit on him, didn't he, after that fight? Yeah. And Vlad obviously blew out against Purity, blew out against Brewster, got knocked out by Sanders, looked like shit against Devaro Williamson. You know, and they always had the uh, uh, Vitali. Sorry, he got his. A reputation back somewhat with the Lennox Lewis fight, and Vlad built a reputation in the end uh, back up again as well. But the Americans were never really sold him, which follows on to, to your point about Moore and that saying that he could come back and build a legacy, which which was ridiculous. It's absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Um, Merchant was pretty brutal in Vitaly in that because he was winning the fight easily. He was pissed out of the park. Rotator cuff, you know, you've seen like Kazagi, for example, fight with broken hands. We've seen Floyd Mayweather fight with broken hands. Uh, it sounds even these days. This, this, you know, to some of the snowflakes and stuff. But you know, the fucking boxers they expected to go above and beyond. And that's what Larry Merchant was kind of getting that. You know, is you've got, you've got, a, you know, you've got a sore shoulder. So what? Get on with it. You know, I remember um, was it a tour of Gatti against uh, Mickey Ward. That he came back to the corner. I think I broke my hand. And his his brother's like, uh, he's like, ah, what, what do you want me to do about it? No, it was Mickey Ward. Sorry. Uh, he said, what do you want me to do about it? He's, hey, hey. My daughter just come and say good night to me. Sorry, guys. Uh, I so he's like um, he broke his hand and that. He says, "What do you want me to do about it?" He says, "No, I've got to keep fighting." You know, that's the, that's the, that's the mentality of these guys, you know. Yeah, uh, Smido, you obviously a big uh, AJ fan. What do you remember of that night of what was it, 29th of April, two thousand and seventeen? Um, You're a hater. Saying I'm a big AJ fan is doing me a disservice to bear, but I'm happy to uh, take anything you throw at me. Um, I was actually on my honeymoon. Um, I was in Florida. And, um, yeah, I deliberately made that Saturday um, a stay-by-the-pool day um, and got away with it. Um, yeah, I had no means of watching it. Um, and literally until um, Buffer was saying, let's get ready to rumble. And I uh, accosted a fellow Brit in the lobby of a hotel. Um, and he had it on on his phone. He was a Chelsea fan, and we watched it from there. Um, obviously, it was a great fight, as you guys say, to to and fro. Um, I think we learnt. A, I think it was perfect matchmaking. To be fair, um, as mentioned, Klitschko was um, out the ring for a couple of years, um, but he had the name kind of thing and the history, and obviously the link to Fury. And I never bought the um, never will buy the comparisons in in um, to far to say as Joshua knocked him out and Fury didn't. I think that that was. Um, that's not a comparison to make. Like you say, two years out, I think Klitschko was 41-42 at the time. In great shape. Spoke really well, promoted it really well. I, yeah, I just thought it was perfect matchmaking. And as someone's already mentioned, Joshua was still learning, very much so learning on the job there. Um, the one thing I didn't like is that they um, tried to make it, or tried to claim it was a unification. They got the WBA belt out of pretty much nowhere. Obviously, Klitschko did not own that belt beforehand going into the fight and neither did Joshua. That came out of nowhere with some vacant bullshit. Um, I didn't like that. Never never have. And, you know, that Eddie Hearn still says now about all unified against Klitschko, defended against such and such, not buying it. Um, 
yeah, I still don't know how Joshua got up from that right hand. It would have it would have killed killed people. Um, literally, I do I do not know how he got up from that. Perfectly landed shot, perfectly weighted, full extension. Um, yeah, and how he got up from that, I do not know. Um, he did in that fight similar to what he did against Ruiz in the first fight in that um got knocked down bad and tried to take a try. I know he eventually got beat by Ruiz, but yeah, tried to take a few rounds off. You know, the round the three rounds that directly um preceded the 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 Joshua knockdown weren't that exciting really because Joshua was trying to get his uh get his marbles back straight and um and yeah try and get back get back into the fight which he did successfully and obviously that the the end result will will back that up for him um but yeah that I thought it was um yeah per, like I say perfect matchmaking and the ending like Andy said that um uppercut will be iconic um the event in general was iconic with with the the Wembley um beating my mate's record to ninety thousand um and I don't know as I remember it correct me if I'm wrong. That uppercut, it, it didn't actually go down directly from that shot. That was the beginning of the end, don't get me wrong. But I don't think he, he directly went down from that shot. It was a bit of a bumbling knockdown. And like you say, he still got knocked out. On, um, he was still on his feet when he got knocked down. So, you know, Klitschko, as you guys have alluded to, was a bit of a... He had a bit of a full circle, really, with the Yank, well, particularly the British fans and, and possibly the Yanks as well, whereby me included were like, oh, he's boring. Do we want to watch him against, you know, I mean, the Mormex and, you know, the um, Pianettas and people like that? Um, there were some absolute dross fights. Um, but yeah, he kind of came round and he showed his intelligence. And I mean, he speaks brilliant English against them. Um, hey. And then on a lower level against Fury because I, I can't even remember what channel that was on at the time. And then with Joshua, like I say, spoke well before and spoke really well afterwards. Um, they had the um, carrot of the rematch, I think, was um, directly after. But and then he made his decision whenever he did. And, and, and yeah, that was it. It was it was history. And yeah, well, undoubtedly um, the most entertaining fight Joshua has been in. But is in entertaining fights regularly with his with his vulnerability etc. Um, that's been exposed since then. Um, did it take something out of him? It sure did. But let's remember, he probably learnt a hell of a lot there as well. Um, not all of it has been um, has been um, implemented 100 percent of the time as we've seen. But he definitely learnt as much as he as he lost. I would I would imagine. Well said, Smido. I don't know if you want to hang around for our light heavyweight tournament. Don't run off too quickly because I have a Tyson Fury question coming up right your way after we yes. bring in rapping Rob Kelly. Just to finish off this segment, we're going back in time, Rob, to 2017 April. Uh, AJ against Vladimir Klitschko. Any thoughts, any overwhelming emotions, Rob, on that one? Well, uh, you can hear me, yeah? We can hear you. Hello. We can hear you. Sorry, yeah, no, my overriding memory of it is it was the first time I actually lost the plot on the pod <laughs> the next night because I'd only just joined the panel. Well, I had come on, I think I'd asked to come on. He let me on a couple of weeks, and I think we'd done um, Ward Kovalev and that maybe, maybe it's the first fight, or before the second fight, rather. And I'm kind of, I'm back on every week by the time Aunt, uh, Joshua Klitschko happens. I think that might have been my first weekly. I, I could, it probably could have been my first weekly appearance on the pod, and uh, or second. And then after that, I was back. But um, I remember, like when I first did the pod, I was kind of 
completely like fucking Max Kellerman and everything. Like I had no fucking personality on it because I was like, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, that was kind of out of my comfort zone from doing music. And then I kind of just let relaxed and went on a rant the next night about Joshua. And the thing that was annoying me the most is that they were building him up so much. And in retrospect, it's understandable because he had his moment and he won the fight and the atmosphere and Jim Lampley crying and all that. Like I kind of get it. But my point was the things that I had been saying all along were kind of true about Joshua. I always said, like, if you get him past six rounds, you can drown him. If his fundamentals weren't that great. Although looking back at the fight, I thought he did better on the jab in the early rounds. But Klitschko was winning the battle of the jab. I think it's evident from the rewatch that Klitschko was spent in terms of his gas tank. I mean, he was so... He expended so much energy just from being on the balls of his toes for four rounds that by the time the knockdown came... AJ really should have finished him. I think looking back, you can see there's spots where AJ is vulnerable, where he's on the attack after having someone hurt, as we saw in the Ruiz fight, because he shipped the left hook from Klitschko in the fourth round as well. I had him all at sea, and he just acknowledged it. And the only one that copped it on the panel was um, was actually Frotch. <laughs> Smith and all were up on their seats, ready for the fucking stoppage. Um, I predicted before the fight that Klitschko would win via the Kronk catch and shoot. And he wasn't fucking that far off. Like, he wasn't that far off. I think we saw susceptible, susceptibility from AJ to a left hook in the Dillian White fight, the Klitschko fight, and obviously later in the Ruiz fight. So he holds the, little, the right hand a little bit low, especially when he's on the attack. Um, what to say about the fight? I mean, it, it fucking really made AJ, didn't it? Like, it, 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 it vindicated Eddie Hearn that AJ was the man. Fury was out of the fucking picture at this stage, 20 fucking five stones sitting on the sofa watching the fight. You know, the path was clear for them to mo move on to heavyweight domination and fight guys like Charles Martin and fucking whoever else. and Not Charles Martin, whoever whoever came after uh, Klitschko. Um, good fight, great fight, but I think Vladimir was done. Um, not taking anything away from AJ because he did grit it out. I thought after he got hurt, he, sold, he did a lot of things that we saw that he's probably going to do in his career again when he gets hurt. He spit the mouthpiece out. He spit it out against, again against Ruiz, buying some time. Andy mentioned that with Castillo Corrales earlier. You could say old man in it. Or you could say, in his case, it looks more like he's completely fucking, when he's blown, he's just blown and he's looking for anything to, to, to try and keep him alive in the fight. It worked that night because Vladimir was done. Like I said, after four rounds, he was done. He hadn't got it, he hadn't got it in him left to finish him when he had him hurt. And, that, that, and another thing, how big was AJ that night? Holy fuck. How big was he? He was a fuck. He was like a Hulk that night. So fucking big. Big. No steroids. No steroids. I'm not, not, I'm not implying anything. I'm just saying. He was 250 that, did almost, wasn't he? 250 pounds. He was massive, massive, massive that night. 20 so pounds extra, really, by the way. 20 and pounds Klitschko extra. Was very light. Klitschko was very light as well that night. I think he'd been the lightest he'd been in fucking three years. So I don't know if that worked against him. Maybe he could have put more sauce on the shots, a bit heavier. But no, a great fight. I give it to the two of them. Both of them left it in the ring that night. I can't really take anything away from Joshua. But at the time, I remember boiling on the pod the next night saying, this fucking guy is fucking there for the taking. Like, don't be saying he's the next Ali and all that. Like, this, his day is coming. Like, um, But yeah, great fight looking back. We go, everybody enjoying the old uh, Joshua Klitschko. I think next week we'll probably do an Eric Morales fight. Somebody was asking me during the week on Facebook about Eric Morales. 
and I've forgotten to uh, screenshot the the comment, but we'll maybe go back on a Morales fight and enjoy him at his prime. You're listening to uh, episode 372 of the Boxing Asylum Notaries podcast, wrapping Rob Kelly there. You heard from Ozzy, Andy, and Smido are still on the call. Don't forget to hit the like button if you enjoy what you're listening to, or the like button, the dislike button if you think we're shit, whatever suits. Uh, okay, then Smido, Liam Jordan's been in touch. Bit of a mishmash question, but I'm sure you'll get a chance to say what you think, Adam. He says, I've been down a massive YouTube dark hole, which was a bit concerning, but he went on to say, watching all Tyson Fury's early fights, did anyone outside of his team expect him to be where he is now? Peds or not, he was British level at best. Or is it just showing the lack of great heavyweights around? In my opinion, he beats them all easy. So he's talking about Joshua Wilder and all them. Is the heavyweight title overrated even? Says Liam. And I know you've had a bit of an about turn on Fury, haven't you, Smith? I tell us more. You there, Smith? You just battered somebody yeah. with a frying pan. Yeah, I'm just um... smashing the house up. Yeah, just calm down, Smith, will you? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um... You're a hater. Before I, uh, before I cause chaos. Um, yeah, you... I was actually at Fury's second fight. Believe it or not. You're a bit distant, Smith. Shout out! Call. Shout out to us. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hello? Hello. Um, Quite light. How's that? Yeah, I was actually at uh, Fury's sec- second fight at the Nottingham uh, uh, Arena on a call for undercard, I think. And I remember it because his shorts, um, he'd, lost a few, he'd lost a few pounds between fights number one and two. And he kept having to pull his shorts up on his second fight and he was wearing the same shorts back then. Um, but yeah, it was, I think he was quite hyped, actually, Fury. He was a, obviously a big signing for, for Mick at the time getting the Channel 5 coverage. There was always the... Am I the only one who's not hearing Smitho? Yeah, yeah I love him. I think he's been killed off. It's all right. You can get him for an hour on Big Russell's show anyway if you're... If you're <laughs> <laughs> You're a hater! Go on, Smith, try again. Can you know? Rob Kelly's fault. What? It's it's rapping Rob Kelly's fault. Whenever he comes on, it it throws my mic off. I bashed up the kitchen. I'm making a failure of the of the um, stream yard. I might as well pack up. Your words, Smido. You're a failure of a husband and a failure. Oh dear, didn't take that too well. Smithers quit on air. Oh dear. Done a kill on us, Ozzy, what's happening? I feel awful weather in the bin, you know. <laughs> the voice of casual boxing has quit. Smithers has to learn to spit the mouthpiece out when he's in trouble. <laughs> what was he doing? He must have been up on the roof. The Rod Hall antenna. Bathrooms, you know? Sounds like, sure. the, sounds like the missus fought back, though, and she's uh, bundled her way through and tried to assault him with a couple of pans or something like that. He should come to Wexford where... He should come to Wexford where allegedly uh, fellas who are involved in that kind of uh, behaviour get stabbed on a, on a Saturday night. <laughs> I'm not going to uh, as the headlines as the, the Guardian are appealing for witnesses in the domestic in Wexford last yeah. night. Um, yeah, so he should, he should be thankful he's living in. Where is he living in? Um, Wigan. Well, up the Wigan. somewhere, is he? Wigan. He's in Wigan. Wigan. Yeah, not far from me, about 15 minutes away. 
get a good pie in Wigan, you would. Oh, I'd say so. Pocket pie. Right, let's move on. Before we go on to Belly of the Weeks, gentlemen, let's go on to our light heavyweight tournament. Previous winners of this particular tournament, you know the draw by now. Heavyweight was Larry Holmes. And last week, Evander Holyfield was um, crowned as the cruiserweight king. We're on to the light heavyweights this week. I know the boys are all pumped up, ready for this. Um, Aussies run off. I'm going to grab hold of you and drag you back, kicking or screaming. First quarterfinal then, Andy. Let's go to you, shall we? First quarterfinal of our light heavyweight tournament is... Andre Ward versus Michael Spinks. Andre Ward, Ward versus Michael Spinks. You have two minutes, Andrew, starting from now. Um, I'm going to go Ward. Um, I think more variety. Spinks was good, but I never really thought he was actually fantastic to watch. He was very, I thought, methodical and that very... How can I put this? Mikey Garcia. to me, I thought. He like yeah, awkward looking. He had bad knees for years, but... You got that Mickey Garcia about him, you know. He just he would he would, he would do enough to win, but he would no commit as such. Um, I mean, there's no question about it. He fought some fantastic fighters. Um, you know, obviously, well, I believe it was heavyweight, for example. But he fought like say Cal Wee. You know, remember he remember as well the light heavyweight division and the cruiserweight division. Uh, well, the light heavyweight room back time, the seventies and eighties. It was it was pretty good. Me and Murray Sutherland and. Um, as I say, Cal E was there at the time, uh, Eddie Mustafa Mohammed, uh, Marvin Johnson, that was about as well as he got the title late, Yaki uh, Lopez. Um, but I, I just think it was more, there's more to the award. I'd probably say we'd beat him on points. Uh, again, 12 rounds, putting everything in perspective with today's training techniques and diet and stuff like that. But I've got to factor in that I, I think, as I say, Spinks was riddled with knee problems and stuff. I think Ward would have definitely would have worked him out. Outworked him and probably out, you know, hosted him really as well when he had to. I think he'd have won it well wide in points. So I'll go for Ward uh, decision. Thank you, Andrew. Let us move Andre Ward on to the semi finals then. I'm going to leave quarter final two. I was going to give it to Ozzy, but he's disappeared a second. I'll give that back to Andy. I'll hit you with quarter final three, I think, Rob. This could be the tastiest of the four. We're going for Bob Foster against Michael Mora, WBO champion Michael Mora, long reigning. Ooh. WBC champion Bob Foster, two excellent fighters. Um, Bob Foster, hell of a fighter, very long. Yeah, could go fifteen rounds, of course. Um, I'm going to give that one to Michael Moore. I think prime for prime. Um, Michael Moore is very underrated. So without going into too much of a technical analysis, I think uh, Moore has the capability of outpointing Foster. He was highly, highly underrated fighter, Michael Moore, and probably could have done more. Um, with his own career, should have never got beaten by Big John's that night, in my opinion. But um, yeah, go fighter Michael Moore. I'm going to give that one to. Interesting, interesting. I I, I would have gone for Foster as well, actually, to be honest with you. But uh, Rob has made the final decision there, gone for Michael Moore. Right, let's move on to uh, quarterfinal number two. Andrew, two minutes or less. You have on Matthew Saad Mohammed. Versus Sergei Kovalev. I'm a massive Saad Mohammed fan, my favourite yeah. fighter of all time. But you might be surprised how oh. I would pick this one. You go ahead first. All right, so you going for Sergei, are you? I'm not going for Sergei, but I don't think it's as clear cut as you think, as much yeah. of a Saad fan as I am. I, I think it's a bloodbath, actually. I think both are dropped. Um, the reason why I'm, I'm going for Saad, uh, probably by stoppage, is I've seen him get up. And I'm a bit prejudiced by saying this because I'm a big Saad fan and that, but. What you saw against Richie Cates, for example, that you know, I, I I've seen Kovalev use excuses against Chalemba for winning fights, and I've seen 
I'm using excuses for losing fights and stuff. Again, it was a guy who, who dumped too much weight, kind of hide the shots of the body. Didn't have a really good gas tank, and if he's and if he's typical bully fighter, if his opponent didn't, didn't fold to him, he had no answers really as such. I mean, Ward, even though he got dropped in the first fight, he, he kind of came back at him, made adjustments to win the win the rematch. Now, okay, he, uh, Ward lost the rematch, that. But I just think uh, Muhammad would have been too gutsy, too ballsy. The hung it out in the line there, and to be honest, okay, it's in my past prime, for example. But if you've seen like how Yard had Cove level on the ropes, you know, basically kind of hanging on for you know, for a wee bit, I think Sad would have probably taken him out of there, actually, to be honest with you. So I'm going to go Sad Muhammad by stoppage. Yeah, I agree. I think Saad would have stopped him about round 11. Saad had superhuman levels of recovery. He was such an exciting fighter, big puncher as well. And Kovalev, you know, someone in the chat put something interesting, which I was going to reference there. Let me see if I can get it. Saad had more when it mattered, said Joseph Kennedy. I agree with Joe there. He had more when it mattered. He was yeah, he was dropped by Mustafa Mohammed, beaten by Karwi as well. The thing is, though, at some point in the fight, Saad would have gone down. And if Prime Kovalev, big puncher that he was, there's a chance he could have finished him off. So I don't think it's as clear-cut as you think. And I don't make Kovalev a completely overwhelming underdog in this one. I think it'd be a pretty even money fight. But Saad had more when it's mattered and he would have kept on going, kept on getting up, um, providing Kovalev wouldn't have stopped him and uh, got rid of him in the 11th round, I think. So, yeah, we'll move Saad Mohammed on to the semi-finals. Let's just delete the crusher. Yep. Kusha's a good fighter too, though, in his prime, excellent fighter. Uh, to quarterfinal number four, Rob. Let me just get the banner up. It is a fight that we wished would have happened. We all know what the outcome would have been. But again, like the previous fight, I, I, I know the winner, but I don't think it would have been as easy as people think. Roy Jones Jr. versus Darius Mitchell-Chevsky. Rob, quarterfinal number four. Uh, sorry, I lost you there, Steve, but I'm thinking it's Jones versus Mikulowski, is it? It is indeed. Mikulowski, rather. Uh, Mikulowski, I don't know. Um, prime Spell for prime, it. I... <laughs> uh, fucking IT. Um, I think that uh, prime for prime has had to go against Jones. I don't care what kind of reputation Darius Mikulowski had. I don't care if he went to cruiserweight and won a title. I don't give a fuck. He's the only one in eight, I think, that people say they kind of tried to say that Jones Doctor maybe the only possible other opponent to give him a career to find a fight because he was devoid of a few of those, like, um, in his way, hence the move to heavyweight. But prime for prime, if Jones had his prime at 175, I'm not saying he was prime at 75, but if he has his prime at 75, can't touch him. Can't touch him. And he sails past that one. Yep, I agree, Andy. I think he does sail past it. Mitchell Chevsky is very solid, very dependable. I think he goes the distance. I think he's tough enough and he had a long enough reign and was experienced enough. And we're going prime for a prime. This fight should have happened. Mitchell Chevsky yeah. wouldn't leave Germany. Jones wouldn't leave Pensacola, Florida, let alone America, because he got hosed in the 88 Olympics. We know that. Roy Jones, too athletic, too gifted, wins on points. But Mitchell Chevsky was no mug, and I think he goes the distance. Well, I'm going to disagree slightly. I think Jones would stop him or maybe mm-hmm. make him quit because... One fight that always sticks in my mind, and I agree, you know, Michael Chowski was a was a solid operator. But that quick job against the uh, or the swan dive against Rocky Gianni the first time. Mm. He beat him in a rematch three or four years later, and he, he fucking bought that DQ big style by the way. He refused to get up to fight on. And I just think with Jones, let me know slightly at his peak at that point, but you know, still winging in those shots, you know, triple left hooks and stuff. I could maybe have seen him maybe kind of bail in the fight and that maybe see a late Jones stoppage. 
Um, but definitely one issue that happened. And believe it or not, actually, even when you know people might not believe this, but this goes back to this situation with Fury and Joshua, for example, about titles and lineal champions. Michael Chelsky was a, was a lineal champion and Roy Jones held all the belts. So there you go, the lineal champion, an undisputed champion, and they never met. Um, so, yeah, should have happened. It should, absolutely should have happened. Right, okay, so Roy Jones uh, moves forward. Right, let me have a look here then. We'll go back to you. I think we'll go to you, Rob, actually. Quarter semi-final rather than number one. So we've got Andre Ward through against Matthew Saad Mohammed. Rob, Andre Ward against Matthew Saad Mohammed. Still there, Rob? Let's have a look. Don't think we've got Rob there. You hear me okay, Andy, still, yeah? Yeah, I think he's dropped off. Is that Smithle still on the call there, right? Eh? No, you no. Know? Rob's still on the call. Should be anyway. You there, Rob? We'll get to you, Andy. Andre Ward against Saad. Um... Hard one. I'm going to say Ward again. Just I've seen too many adjustments with Ward. Um, if they found a way, um, probably one out on points. But Definitely, either have known he was either been in the fight eh, or definitely been in a fight. Um, yeah, it's a hard one. Yeah, no, there's no hard one actually. I'm going to say Warden points. He would probably make. I, I'm thinking something along the lines of the fights. Remember the fight he fought against um, oh, what's his name? Edwin Rodriguez. Rodriguez, yeah. I got a type of fight. You know, he would basically nullify everything that Sad tried to do. He would grapple. He would hold, make it ugly, eh, and just kind of you know maybe. Rub, rub the head, come off the clinches and that big shots at the body and just kind of box and move and stuff and just kind of try and keep it textbook as such. So I think, I think Ward would probably win on points. Let's see if we've got Rob back with us for the second semi-final. This is going well. If you're listening on YouTube uh, during the week, by the way, as Rob drops off, then let us know who you think would have won these ones. Yeah, Aussie's away again. Uh, okay, uh, Michael Moore Roy Jones, Andy. Oh, might have Rob and Rob actually back first. You there with us, Rob? Sorry, yeah. Oh, it's in the wind. It's a bad yeah. Ah, we can hear you now. Yeah, hear you now. Michael Moore, Roy Jones, Rob. Jones. 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 Uh, Not sure what he said there. I think he said Darius Michalczewski to win the whole thing. <laughs> he's back, he's back. No, Jones, Jones, 100% Jones. Jones, okay. Is, is, it, is it Mac 9 weather out there, by the way? Jesus, suffering. I don't know what happened. It was this fucking scorcher yesterday. I turned the corner and I'm in fucking a hurricane. Hurricane Tiger, baby. Okay, uh, on to the final then, Andy. Let's see who shall win the light heavyweight tournament. Uh, you're the main man this week. Andre Ward against Roy Jones Jr. would have been a fascinating affair. What a fight! What a fight! <laughs> Holy fuck! <laughs> Roy Jones, Andre Ward. Oh my God. Um, no pressure, Andy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, mm. <laughs> Come on, you need to throw me some ideas here. I mean... I can only I can like prime for prime. Oh fucking hell. 
Porky's Corner made a good point. He says, where's the final? Ward never fought outside um, no, I, California. Yeah, Oakland. And well, Jones I wouldn't leave Pensacola. <laughs> yeah. Aye, true. Um, honestly, God. Um... Yeah, a few of the guys in the chat are mentioning people like Dick Tiger, Ezard, Charles, Archie Moore. Obviously, these aren't the only eight light heavyweights. I'm trying to make it a bit more recent so that we don't go into those old, you know, having the guys watching Ezard, Charles and all that. So I've tried to keep it a bit more recent. Wards Wards has got the dog in him, man. But I mean, I'm I'm going to go off my head. Um, I was a big Roy Jones Junior fan. Peak Roy Jones Junior. I'm going to I'm going to go Roy. You think output? Is that what you're thinking? Output and movement. You think as well. You think as well. Like Prime Jones handled James Tony. Is Ward better than Tony? I don't know. Like he's probably and that's one hand apparently as well. Jones had done it to Tony with one hand apparently. Exactly. And like, do I think Roy Jones probably beats Marvin Hagler sixty? Yeah, does he beat anyone ever at 68? Probably, yeah. And does he beat anyone ever at 75? If he's in his absolute prime over the fighters that competed at 75 over the years, take fucking Billy Con- Go back as far as fucking Billy Con. I think Jones probably beats all of them. But then I haven't ever seen Andre Ward get beaten by that style, right? So Kovalev, if you say Kovalev beat him in the first fight, he did it off the jab and off raw power. But Jones wouldn't fight like that, so... But having said that, could Ward impose his style on Jones any better than James Tony did? I don't think he could, so I'd have to go Jones. It's a, ge- it's a genuine, it's a genuine, it's one of the fights, genuine, it's one of the genuine matchups. You just don't know how it's going because you say there's nothing like Jones to kind of prepare for, like, so, you, know, you know, if you look at Ward's career, what is the closest thing he's faced to Roy Jones that you could think, you know, that's, you know, no one really, like, no one. Sh- not in his punches. prime run, like no, not can't get anybody. No. I mean, no. Kessler was on. And was at, was at that point was on the slide. He's not like Jones. Speed, Frotch. Frotch very Roy Jones esque. <laughs> just there's yeah. nobody. That Jones well, like, lead left hook and the athleticism. I just, I just can't see it. It's close well, fight. I'd I don't say, say Ward gets embarrassed now, but Jones well, is another well, level. I'd say, what you could say though as well is that Ward always finds. A way to defuse the style over a couple of rounds, exactly. So over say five rounds, does he give Roy Jones maybe not fucking Roy Jones runs away with it or whatever? But does he start to adjust to come on after maybe five or six flashy Roy Jones? He hadn't really got big one one punch knockout power at seventy five. Haven't said that. Clock Kovalev on the chin as well as the body that in the first fight started the ball rolling like so. Well, he caught my right hand to the chin actually. Fucking rocked him big style in the rematch. Plus the body shot. I think Roy Jones. Andrew Ward is such a, a, a fucking like scientist when it comes to breaking fighters down that he would have definitely had moments. So I don't know. Like again, I don't know. I'd say I'm going to edge towards Jones, but I don't really know, man. To be honest, with I you. think could you see anyone beating Ward apart from Kovalev? You have to have a certain type. Of, you have to be a very big 175 to beat him, and have a pack a lot of power. I think to fucking probably knock him out to beat him. Like there you go. There's there's what I'm thinking, right? So I think the way we're talking here is we're t- we're talking a closest fight. We're basically siding with Jones, but I think, as you say, Ward's isn't embarrassed, isn't embarrassed because he's got more than enough about him to be competitive. I think it's the flashiness and the speed of Jones would look good against Ward, whereas Ward's not so much lack of power, but you know, his actual punching ability kind of make it look like, yeah, that 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 was a big shot there by that maybe nicked around, for example, whereas Jones is maybe flying in with three hooks and a right hand to come off off and then finish off in the jab and that, whereas Wars try to time a right hand or a left hook to the body or whatever. And that. I just think, you know, Jones probably speed and activity 
would look better into what Ward's boxing would probably do. But again, Ward was always ca- was really good at catching your jab. Always good at catching your jab and then coming back with a right hand. Um, yeah, I'm going to say Jones. I will say Jones on points, but I, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if you maybe got a split decision split, on that type yeah, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I'm just edging towards Jones. You mentioned something there about James Tony, Rob. How do you think Andre Ward off the cuff against Tony would go? Obviously, we're going prime for prime. Tony was hot and cold, wasn't it? Um, prime Tony. Sp- fucking Jesus Christ. When Tony was in his full swing, the only fighter that was out there that could defuse him was Roy Jones. Because he, when he's in full swing, dogging it, think of the unbeaten run he had after the Jones fight. Don't think he was ever knocked out fucking hard to go against James Tony in a prime and his best performances were at 68 is when he was at his most fluid but Andrew Ward would love a dirty fight with James Tony man yeah. it'd be headbutt city elbows fucking taking it away to the body the strength of Andrew Ward on the inside like James Tony wouldn't be able to bully Ward on the inside the way he did maybe Iran Barkley like you know because Ward is so strong try and wrestle with Andrew Ward as I said before fucking you're going to come off second like he's brute strength so I don't know, man. I don't know. Fucking, F. I love to see it. You know what I mean? It'd be one of them ones where I wouldn't give a fuck about the winner. But I do remember. Uh, obviously, Tony fucking thinks he'd shit on everybody. But they they made a comparison between him and Canelo, and he just burst out laughing. But Jones did something similar when they said to him after uh, Triple G Canelo won. One of the one of them was like, "How do you think uh, Prime Canelo or Golovkin would have gotten done against Prime Roy Jones?" And he just fucking burst out laughing. He was like, "Fucking none of them two would be able to touch me, Prime Roy." Jones, we already know that. Like, so I thought that was pretty cool. Like, but um, yeah, I think probably Jones is the best of his. I always say I think fucking the two greatest fighters for me is maybe I'm biased, like or whatever. Not even biased, but my judgment on it is the two greatest fighters, middleweight, uh, fucking or whatever, like technical ability were Ray Robinson, and then I put Roy Jones ahead of Hagler, Leonard, Hearns, and Duran, and that's high praise. Like, so I, I. I think Jones is one of the greatest fighters of all time, but as that, I think he probably wins. Yeah, Jones is an amazing fighter. Ozzy, you're just back with us. I don't know if you have any brief comments on that final there. We've just seen Roy Jones Jr. Uh, defeat Andre Ward in the final of the light heavyweights. I can't add anything more. Um, you, all three of you jumped in and covered it pretty much as it was. Agree that it had been very close. Split decision. Would we have even seen a draw? Who knows on the judges' cards? Um, personally, I would side with um, Roy Jones. Um, I just think he'd have that bit too much for, for Andre Ward, but an extremely close fight. Um, one that is one of them that you wish you you could have loved to see. Uh, but yeah, I thought you all put it put it well. Extremely, you you put it well together. Sorry. Yeah, one thing Jones uh, came across during his career, also James Tony, was obviously the drugs. A few people have tagged me in over the week of the podcast. I think it's high field boxing, uh, the drug situation. I've listened to the whole thing, the whole three hours, and I can't add anything, to be honest. I thought it was, it, it you know, go over and listen to it. It's well worth a listen. Terry is the guy, and he interviews Larry Olabamiwo. I can't add anything because those two are clearly experts in their field. I mean, um, you're better off just going and listening to it yourself. Some of it was interesting. Uh, some of it was controversial. I didn't really agree with everything they said. A few things I had no knowledge about whatsoever, but it's worth um, just going and listening to it. There's no point in trying to get Larry on the show or anything because I wouldn't be able to do that scope of an interview with that type of knowledge by what, what they brought to the table. So go over and listen to that if you get a chance. Uh, let's move on to Belly of the Weeks. Uh, we've lost Rob, unfortunately. Hopefully he's alive. Ozzy's still with us and so is Andy. 
episode 372, Value of the Weeks. The first one coming to me was uh, GM Ross, nominated by Armola12. Uh, GM Ross said, the most underrated boxer right now. Who doesn't get the love they deserve from the pugilistic pundits? And Armola12 jumped in and said, Prince Patel. I can't remember who nominated him for that, but anyway, Prince Patel doesn't get the love from the pundits, apparently, according to this gentleman. Uh, Aaron Jakes has been nominated for naming his little boy Reggie Fury Jakes after the main man Tyson Fury. I've just flicked through them all here, which is a bit of an amateur mistake. Let's see if we can get them back on the phone. Did anybody see this during the week, actually? It was brought to my attention. Old Bean was getting the grief in the in the YouTube comments again, and um, mm-hmm. they ended up, they ended up <laughs> pinning a, a derogatory comment about poor old Bean. It was, it was quite oh, hard, actually. Yeah. Oh, I saw that one. What, what was it? Someone said something mean about being, I've got the sweets in my car or something, and I, whoever did oh. the interview, IFL, um, so pinned it at the top of <laughs> the top. <laughs> oh, man, poor Bean. Getting it rough. We'll move on. Run the bean, we? should have been, could have been, really been. Let's see if we can bring that up. Here we are. Where is he? You're a hater! There we are. Um, okay, so uh, David Almond has nominated Apple Head, <clears throat> who's talking about Ruiz coming in two stone overweight for the AJ rematch. Uh, Prime Type Mycin has nominated George Foreman. Really enjoying the interview until the big man said, Well, won the first Fury fight. You're going to have to come down off my wall, said George. Easy belly of the week. He's then moved the picture. Uh, William Lee has nominated Anthony Fowler for talking more about the CBD oil situation. You fucking goes um, relentless with that shit, man. Love the old CBD, Andy. Oh, what? I wish you would love TNT and smoke that shit. <laughs> you should do. THC. Uh, David Alman has nominated Marvellous Marcos. Ivan said the top five UK draws. Number one, AJ. Number two, David Hay. Number three, Ricky Hatton. Number four, Joe Kazagi. Number five, Carl Froch. Marvellous Marcos said James DeGale. Uh, who else we got here? Uh, Eggy Phil has nominated. Not really sure who's nominated here. Joker. Some of them you read them back and you can't remember the context. This is a good one anyway. That came in from Michael Garner. Abnamares. Has anybody seen this? He's mm-hmm. bought out these Abnamares facial protection masks. Pre-order now to swipe up, and it's got Mares and then a photo of him on the front, and half half Abner, half skeleton. So if you want to protect yourself from coronavirus, Andy, get Abner Mares face masks. Yeah, on the case. That was that was his gimmick going into the ring, I think, as well. He had these these shitty face masks, these Mexican things. Remember that idiot? I mean, you'd be better wearing. See, remember that fucking idiot wears that skull mask in the ring. Oh uh, yes, him. Remember yeah, that? You'd be, be, you'd be better wearing that fucking shit, man. That fucking face mask for good, does you? But how much is he selling it for? What's the retail price? I didn't see. I didn't see that. Ah, uh, you, you must have tricked there, Steve. I bet they're flying out. Yeah. They're flying out. The Abner Maris fucking coronavirus face mask. Fucking hot off the shelves. I've seen. I've seen. I've seen a picture for, for Germany actually for the PPE stuff. Uh, face masks. With fucking holes in them. Perforated holes in the fucking face masks. <sighs> It's bonkers. Get an Abnamara's one anyway. That's what you need. Yeah. Uh, MMA Gimp said Tom Myers, who's nominated all these boys who are picking now uh, Conor McGregor to fight Oscar De La Hoya. I don't think getting punched in the head is what Oscar needs right now, but they're talking about that fight anyway. Uh, Toby is talking. Uh, nominated higher. Who is it? Mile High Grim. They're on about the, the Eric Morales-Pacquiao fights. I don't care what anyone says. Morales won two of those Pacquiao fights, says Mile High Grim. What? <laughs> which ones? Well, I know he definitely won the first one, Andy, but which of the other two fights did Morales win against Pacquiao? Well, I'm pretty sure it wasn't the third. <laughs> it was, definitely wasn't the third one. 
he fucking yeah, he absolutely made sure it wasn't a third one because he bailed on that shit. Quick. That's right, he did, didn't they? Third he round, didn't his, he? He, he earned his oh, job at that point. He earned his coin. He could take and say when he wanted to fight and how he wanted to fight and that. I mean, to come back and give my dad the business for 12 rounds, even with that eye, like, you know, uh, uh, yeah, for like t- was 11 rounds, I think it was. Yeah. yeah that was, you know, what... 38, 39, maybe even fuck about what age he was at the time, but fuck me, man, put on some performance like that was right. that was like prime my prime my to who yeah. up to what was it, 140, I think it was at the time. Ah, oh, um, a great fighter, great fighter. Old Eric, uh, Joe Kennedy's nominated Bob Arum. Yes, I agree with that. We're gonna swerve that one, I think. Um, who, <laughs> who, who are you going for, Ozzy? Uh, sorry, any nominations first of all, Ozzy? Uh, yeah. Uh, I've got one this week, and it's for the one and only Michael Benson. Oh. And that was because Dillian White earlier today tweeted him and said, I'll just pull up the tweet now. Um, so Benson, we all know, he's a, he's a thief. He loves stealing content. Well, Dillian White has called him out for it and has said, stop reposting all of my Instagram stories. Um which has got a lot of uh, good publicity for Dillian White. So don't agree with everything that he uh, does and says, but this is one that I'm uh, more than happy to agree with uh, when it involves slamming uh, and criticising Michael Benson for all the uh, dodgy work that he does. Nomination for Benson. Anything to improve on that, Andy? Yeah, I've got three, mate. I've got a one. There's not not so much Carol Froch as such, but... Lucian Booty came out there during the week and says um, he admitted that he was never the same fighter after the Carol Froch fight. And I'm just thinking about Carol Froch reading those, yeah, reading those comments and looking at himself in the mirror and just wink him to himself and saying, yeah, I cobra him. Yeah, he's telling the wife and all, oh, Rachel, like, yeah. cobra him. Do you hear what he said, Rachel? <laughs> um, he, did the, he said the same about Kessler as well, eh? because Kessler the the pull out of the tournament. I don't know if he caught a hang on boxing scene as well. As there's, there's talk, there's interest that some sort of fight growing. And I say some sort of fight between Sergio Martinez, who's now 45 year old, by the way, and Marcos Maidana. <sighs> so they're interested. I don't, I don't know what the weight is, but to me, it's a bad idea all around. Uh, so that one. And uh, your tweet, Steve, the, the, the WBC unveiled the special COVID 19 belt. <laughs> Well, we can exclusively reveal tonight that the WBA have actually created their own belt, so it'll be champion in champion in recuperation. Uh, so anybody, I think it'll be an inauguration title will get issued shortly at some point. So I uh, WBC for the COVID nineteen belt. Good old WBC, wouldn't put it past them whatsoever. Wrapping up, Kelly, any nominations for you Bill, over the week, episode three seven two. Yeah, well, I, I jumped off there for a minute, but um, I'm taking you covering the Tyson bare knuckle stuff for now. No, not yet. Well, that's my nomination. The BFKB or BKFC or the SBFLB bare knuckle fucking championship that Malinaji and fucking Artem the Goat Lobev campaign that has put up a million dollar purse for Mike Tyson, which has been accepted for him to fight. Let's go, champ Shannon the Cannon in a bare knuckler <laughs> at 53 years of age on the vegan diet, hoping that he can change. The world's population's perspective on life after uh, getting stoned off his nut on fucking a bullfrog DMT. Mike Tyson is back, ladies and gentlemen. Fuck me, man. Because of Mike Tyson fan I was. Mike Tyson 
past his prime in 1989. Okay, he was never the same after that. That's 1989, not 99, 2009, 2019. 1989, Mike Tyson went past his prime. He was never the same after, even the first Bruno fight, he wasn't the fucking same fighter. He could, I, this is just insanity. Who the fuck, I know we're in lockdown times, but what the fuck is going on? Mike Tyson's 53, man, he wanted to die. And Shannon the Cannon, juice to the motherfucking maximum. Fuck's sake, man, what is going on? That is just insanity. Like, as much as I love Mike, like, we don't want to see that. Strong one. Strong nominations, Ozzy. I'm tempted by Abner Morris's face mask. The Tyson, uh, Mike Tyson one, sorry, is a good one as well. George Foreman has committed a crime this week, and also that fella going on at Prince Patel. Your Benson one's quite solid, Ozzy. Uh, a few to choose from. Who are you going for? Yeah, I've got to stick with uh, any opportunity to um, have a do at Michael Benson. So, yeah, Benson gets my nomination. One down for Benson there. What about you, Andy? Who are you going for? Um, Benson's a good one actually getting called up with Dylan White um, the whole Tyson thing needs to stop as yeah, well yeah it? it needs to I mean what's the end of the day well, Tyson Tyson would fuck up anybody who's no you know a fully trained fighter let's put it this way I said it last week can you imagine breaking into his house and you turn around and he's standing there that's how he, he would fucking treat you like he treated like that fucking pad work but in the professional prize fighting ring, is, is Rob says he's 53. I believe he had neck surgery just not long ago as well, but maybe about a year and a half ago and stuff. I mean, for fuck's sake, what do you want to do? What do, you want to do? you want to see somebody get carried into the ring in a stretcher in a fucking body bag? Because the last time you seen that, Steve, was, was that Thai fight, remember? Remember the Italian guy who fought in Italy? Oh, that was a bad one. That was bad. And listen, and they, fucking, they cut the commercial break, come back. Announced the winner and the guy's still fucking lying They're in the ring. They're announcing the winner over his body. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's fucking lying there dead in the fucking ring, man. You know, so yeah, uh, yeah, the, the Tyson situation, I'll go for that one. Yeah, I think as much as Abner Mares, um excites me this week, Rob, I'm going for the whole Mike Tyson sideshow. What are you going for? And Oscar. Oscar must be on the primo in lockdown, man. Oscar says Mike Tyson with six months training beats every every heavyweight out there right now. He's definitely snorting the old candy with the fucking uh, fentanyl in it. Like. Treat Mike Tyson like Tony Bellew. Just leave him alone, man. He's having to get his life in order. For fuck's sake, don't be throwing him back in the ring. Like, fucking hell, man. The last thing he needs. Jesus Christ. I said it before about Oscar, though. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole spiel, but, um, uh, you know, we always used to shit on old Snake Schaefer, but he was the one who was keeping him in line, I think, in retrospect. Old he was tricky keeping the bills paid, wasn't he? He was keeping things running anyway. The lights on. Well, wait a minute here, though, but what happened when he was at his lowest? What did Tricky Dicky do? He fucking jumped ship with all the fighters. Oscar was left with absolutely fucking nothing. Probably fed up with Oscar, wasn't he? Yeah, but, I mean, that's a guy who's apparently his, his mate. You know, mm. fucking turned on him and just shafted him and took all his fighters apart for Canelo. Probably tried to take him as well, but Canelo remained loyal. Yeah, fucking... I tell you, he's a, he is a snifty wee, snidey wee cunt, actually, because I, I go up and record the fucking orders a pint, right, in Belfast, and he mm. fucking welched on it, right? So me me, me, Mac, McElwee actually fucking cocked, uh, cocked him, right? He's, he's, he wears this suit jacket. It's fucking far too big for him, the fucking smear me fucking slick-eyed prick. He was, the hero sleeked back in that, right? He's like, hey, you're due as a pint by. He's like, oh yeah, I've, I've got to go somewhere. I've got to go and see something. I need to make some fucking phone calls and that. 
it was the time that Frampton uh, was fighting Danera actually. You're like, right. yeah, you're fucking right. You have no intention of buying the pint like you promise you're fucked. This is, this is a Swiss banker, by the way. Maybe got no money, Andy. Aye, aye. He's, <laughs> he's loving his son on his fucking flexible friend and that, the wanker. Uh, one interesting thing Andy, Andy mentioned there, shout out to Michael McAway, one of the good guys, good friend of mine, top bloke is Michael, listens as well, Patreon subscriber. So who are we going for then? Um, I've lost all track of time here. Is it Mike Tyson? I think he, we both went for Tyson, didn't we, Andy? Yeah, but did I? We both went for Tyson. Congratulations, Michael. 53 years of age. Last seen in the ring, biting Kevin McBride's nipple. Come back and take over the heavyweight division. You are belly of the week for episode 372. Let's finish up then. Thank you to everyone who's been on, as always. Andy was there. So was Rapping Rob Kelly. So was Ozzy. So was Smido as well, painting his bathroom. Stormed off. Maybe we won't hear him again. Also, Hater Dave Loback was seen logging on for about 30 seconds. Great performance from him. Thanks for Lewis Van Potch for joining us. And also to Carl Greaves. We'll catch you all again for episode 373. Same time, same place next week. I've been Steve Wellings. Bye. Bye bye, Neil Doncaster. You're out on your arse. (laughs) Sports Social Podcast Network.